Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. <laughs> B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with a bald-faced truth. Well, it was four months ago today that the UCLA Bruins and USC announced they were going to the Big Ten Conference. One of the first thoughts that I had was, what does Bill Walton think of this? If you're a subscriber at johnconzano.com, you know Bill Walton wrote a poem today or a manifesto or a public statement, whatever you want to call it. I printed it, unedited. It reads a little like uh, a little like Hemingway. Very conversational, but in no uncertain terms is Bill Walton happy with UCLA. He's not happy. He just isn't. He's going to join us on the show today here right off the top of the show to talk about his discomfort with what UCLA is doing. Bill Walton, who played for John Wooden. Bill Walton, who won multiple championships at UCLA. Who had the community at UCLA embrace him, put his arm, put his put their arms around Bill Walton. National player of the year three times. We've watched Bill Walton go from young college athlete to champion in the NCAA to number one overall pick in the NBA to NBA champion to pro basketball Hall of Famer. And uh, now Bill Walton on broadcasts. Pac-12 fans are very familiar with him. You have watched him ascend from UCLA as a young student through the ranks to the NBA and then a life after the NBA where he has become a broadcaster and a Hall of Famer and a father and a husband. And, uh, you know, you know, is he the conscience of UCLA? I want you to ask yourself that. He'll tell you he's not. But I hope the words of Bill Walton ring in the ears of the UCLA community and the UC regents as they go on November 15th, 16th, and 17th to decide the fate of UCLA as it pertains to the Pac-12 Conference. Joining us now uh, from his home, Bill Walton, popping on the show right now. How are you, sir? John, I'm alive. Oh, my gosh. What a session we just had. I'm fired <laughs> up. I want to thank you for healing me. I want to thank you for challenging me. I want to thank you for showing me the path forward. I want to thank you for making me, forcing me, challenging me to look inside myself and ask who am I what am I doing why am I here and what is going to happen in the next few moments here on the Kanzano world empire here but <laughs> I have the privilege the privilege of being on this show here and that session that you and I just had with John Wilner uh, it was something that I will never forget. I hope it was acceptable to you. I tried my best. I gave you everything I had. And I'm just uh, thrilled, honored, and privileged to be on your show today and to live in your shadow 
and to be in your universe. Well, thank you, Bill, and I appreciate you making time. And for people who want to listen to, uh, you know, Wilner and I pepper Bill Walton with some questions, the uh, Kanzano and Wilner podcast will be live here. You can catch it after this interview. But, Bill, let's let's drill down a little bit. You you issue uh, the statement. I published your statement today at johnconzano.com, and it was, uh, I think, greeted by a lot of enthusiasm from Pac-12 fans who, who probably all wondered, what is Bill Walton thinking? How many people on June 30th when the news broke, reached out and said, Bill, can I get a comment? Bill, like, I know I was guilty of that. Well, it was an endless list, and you and John Wilner were the very first because you guys are on this whole Pac-12 story on a constant basis. And it's not just UCLA and USC. It's everything Pac-12. And I'm a Pac-12 guy. I'm a team guy. I'm a loyal guy. I'm a grateful guy. And I am so appreciative of the work that you and John Wilner do on a constant basis. Now, when you start, when you and John Wilner, now you have an H in your name, he does not. And, but it, I can't tell the different pronunciations. I can't tell you guys apart from the pronunciations. So if I call you Kanzano and Wilner, that's just going to have to be the way I differentiate here. But when you guys started calling me on the day of June 30th, I deliberately, purposefully did not make any public statements. And I have not until today. I've been writing, I've been researching, I've been reading, I've been studying, I've been trying to put all my thoughts together coherently. And while the list was endless and ongoing of people asking me what I think, what I feel, how I reacted to to UCLA's announcement that they are leaving the Pac-12, and going to the Big Ten, the day you released my public statement. And if you don't mind, I would like to read it right now because some people are in their cars and some yep. people cannot access where they can get the text. Is it all right if you, yes. you John, can you have the floor. read it right now? You, Bill Walton, okay. you have the floor, your statement uh, that was published today. Go ahead. UCLA's wrong turn. All progress requires change. Not all change is progress. I'm Bill Walton. I'm a California native, resident, engaged citizen, voter, and taxpayer. I'm a product of California's terrific public school systems. I'm a proud UCLA alum. I am not in favor of UCLA's recent announced decision to leave the Pac-12 Conference of Champions, nor their desire to join the Big Ten. I don't like this attempted move. I don't support it. I hope it does not happen. UCLA is a public school that is supposed to serve the interests of the state of California. UCLA is one of the world's greatest schools and brands. UCLA represents the best of what life has been and can, could, and should be. UCLA has been as great and as important a part of my life as anything ever I don't believe that joining the Big Ten is in the best interest of UCLA, its students, its athletes, its alumni, its fans, the rest of the UC system, the state of California, or the world at large. Some of the many reasons why I am opposed to UCLA's attempted move to the Big Ten are, in no particular order, the negative impact on the health, both physical and mental, of UCLA student-athletes. 
the exponential increase in travel on UCLA student-athletes will hurt them physically and mentally and in their overall lives. The negative impact of the excessive travel will extend to families, friends, fans, alumni, and everyone else. The increased cost of joining the Big Ten will negate the projected increased revenue assumptions of this proposed move. This proposed move to the Big Ten is contrary to UCLA's and the entire UC system's stated and professed environmental sustainability goals. This proposed move to the Big Ten has serious negative implications and ramifications for the University of California, Berkeley, and flies in the face of the supposed team concept that has always been a part of the California dream, plan, and business model. This proposed move to the Big Ten is all about football and money. What about all the other 24 sports and 600-plus student-athletes at UCLA who are responsible for 99-plus percent of UCLA's national championships? How many of these others are represented and willing participants in this proposed deal? I went to UCLA gladly, willingly, and proudly. It was my dream. That dream never included the Big Ten. I have spoken to no one other than the highest level directors of of athletics at UCLA who think that this proposed move to the Big Ten is a good idea. Every argument made by these senior athletic directors and why they like it is about money. These same proponents of moving to the Big Ten are the first people I have ever encountered in my life who have claimed economic hardship and limitations in Los Angeles and that the solution lies in the Midwest. I have made my feelings known privately to the powers that be in the state of California, including the UC's Board of Regents. My hope and dream is that this proposed move by UCLA, my alma mater, will be rescinded. Bill Walton, UCLA, 1974. As you read that, I hear the Midwest. I hear money. I hear that wasn't part of the plan. Is it your heart that hurts when you hear UCLA to the Big Ten? Is it your head that hurts? What? Where does this come from? It's everything. History teaches us that people fled the Midwest to come to the promised land, the Conference of Champions, the Pac-12. And now, after everybody has come here and created the dream, the, the greatest place on earth in every way, now top-level officials are trying to bail themselves out of UCLA's financial morass with a supposed hundred million dollar debt how did that ever happen by selling their souls back to the big ten yikes what is going on here i am heartbroken i am sad and i am devastated i am disappointed you name the negative emotions john and they're happening in my life and i just hope that gavin and the Board of Regents, if they say, no, 
we are not going to allow this to happen. This is not in our best interest. This is not what UCLA, this is not what the University of California system of public education. California has this remarkable, you know, we have 40 million people in our state, and we have the 10 or 11 UC schools, we have the 23 California State University state colleges, and then we have the 120-plus community colleges. And all of them are fantastic, and all of them are hugely responsible for the quality of life that we have and the fifth largest economy in the entire world just by itself, California. And when you look at the other states in the Conference of Champions, Washington, Oregon, California, Arizona, Utah, Colorado, we'll put Nevada in there too because that's where so many of our championships are competed for in Las Vegas. I mean, this is the promised land. This is where people want to be. 70% of UCLA's alumni live in the Pacific time zone in the West Coast. This is about our community. I never, never in my life, John, thought about, wow, wouldn't it be cool if I was part of the Big Ten? And I want to know how many of the, when I say 600 athletes, student-athletes at UCLA, that doesn't count the 90 to 100 football players. So say there's 700, 700 student-athletes receiving aid, receiving scholarships, receiving opportunities and help from the school to be part of the athletic department. How many of those 700 were consulted about this move to the Big Ten? Because when they all signed up, they all signed up before June 30th, 2022. And all of a sudden, like the rest of us, we woke up that day to the news. Oh, my gosh. What is happening? Why are we doing that? I have never met anybody in my circle of friends, in my world here in California, in the Conference of Champions. I'm a... I'm an adopted son of the state of Oregon. I love Washington, Arizona. We have so many ties there. Utah, the promised land, Colorado, Las Vegas will be there this weekend. But it's just fantastic. I've never met anybody, John, who just said, wow, you know, things aren't happening for me here. I think I'm just going to go to the Midwest and make it. That's just, it's beyond me, and I am I am in disbelief. I'm still in shock. I still... Uh, and just beside myself in every way, and I just hope that with the passage of time and the perspective that the, the smartest people that we have will look around and say, what, what are we doing? We're going to leave Los Angeles. We're going to leave the Conference of Champions where we have all our tradition, all our legacy, all our history, all the great successes, all our natural rivalries, and we're going to go to the Big Ten and have our student-athletes fly across the country every week, and and the toll that's going to take on every aspect of their life and how that's going to negatively impact the their experience at UCLA. I loved my time at UCLA. I had the time of my life. I couldn't believe it when they told me that I had to leave. But here's this situation where we've got all these things going down here, and just with the increased costs and the contrary positions of 
what UCLA, the entire UC system, the entire state of California is about in terms of our environmental sustainability goals. And now we're just going to be putting everybody on airplanes flying across the country all the time here. And the, the fact that this is going to negatively impact Berkeley and a place that my dad, my sister both graduated from, and the fact that we're supposed to be a team out here. Now, this, this is, it is so frustrating to me and so disappointing, John, because so many people have worked so hard to create opportunities for young people to come to UCLA. And UCLA is the most applied to school in the country. The last count I saw was 160,000, 160,000 applicants that enroll at UCLA. 700 of those are athletes. They all came to UCLA thinking, okay, we're part of the Pac-12 Conference of Champions. This is us. This is where we live. And now all of a sudden they're going to pull a bait and switch and change the rules of the game midstream. I don't understand that whatsoever. Will somebody please come to their senses and realize that this is not a good idea? The Regents will meet mid-November. Have you... have you got that message to the regents? Do you have you talked with yes, them? Have you yes. testified? I'm what in, what have you said? I am in. I, I have not testified. I have not filed any affidavits. I will make sure that that they see this public printed statement. But this public printed statement, uh, which was released today by you, that has been in the works since June thirtieth, and all the comments that I make on a regular basis to the UC regions. That, that those are all part and parcel of what I have put together here. The only thing that's really new in my public statement is the title, UCLA's Wrong Turn, which came to me just yesterday. Because while I was ruminating about coming on your show with John Wilner today, and thank you for that privilege, coming on this show on the radio, thank you for this privilege, but I, I was looking for the title, you know, because the title is very important. And it was, I'm thinking about, okay, mistakes made in life and, and, and how that all plays out. And nobody's made more mistakes than me, John. None of the mistakes that I made were conscious decisions of, yeah, I'm just going to do the wrong thing here. It just turned out to be wrong. Well, this decision by UCLA is the wrong decision. And so when I'm thinking about, you know, what's the classic storyline of the wrong decision? And that was Tom Wolfe's novel from the the 1980s, uh, Bonfire of the Vanities, and Sherman McCoy, and he made the wrong turn. And from there, everything fell apart. And so I put the title on it, uh, on this work in progress, UCLA's wrong turn, I hope it does not happen. I hope that calmer heads prevail. People look at each other and say, you know, that's not in anybody's best interest. It'd be hell of a comeback. It would be a a, a great story ending. It would be fine. And the the Pac-12 would welcome UCLA back. And the, and the, 
the Pac-12 nation, UCLA nation, would be ecstatic. Uh, I, I have yet to speak to anyone who, who thinks this is a good idea, other than a couple of people at the very top of UCLA athletic department. And I'm still waiting for an explanation of the how did a school like UCLA, with supposedly the smartest people in the world, get into a $100 million debt in athletics? Please. Does, has anybody explained to you, if UCLA backtracks, how the finances or the deal would work with Fox and the Big Ten or the legality of that part of the equation? Has anybody talked with you about that, Bill? No. There, there's part because, of me. Yeah, go ahead. You go ahead. No, I, there's just part of me wondering, you know, at, where is the point of no return in with this? Because I'm with you. I'm a purist. I'm a traditionalist. I grew up on the western part of the United States. The Pacific, Co- you know, ten conference was, you know, UCLA belongs in in its in its region in, with its geography. It's like fighting a force of mother nature, but. I wonder if the, you know too much has been signed or maybe the deal is done. My hope is that Gavin and the Board of Regents say no. And that UCLA exceeded its autonomy and authority. And you can't make a decision like this. Uh, without the approval of the people that run the whole show. And, you know, basically, UCLA has quit on the Pac-12. And that, to me, is not right. It's unethical. And it's the antithesis of everything that I know that UCLA and UCLA's greatness and historical impact and impact, this is contrary to everything that UCLA has always stood for. And there is no commonality between the Pac-12 Conference of Champions and the Big Ten. This is, they're there, and I'm glad that they're there, and I'm glad that I'm the Conference of Champions. We are the best in every way. We do not have truck stops in our conference. We have the best of athletics, of academics, of science, of of, uh, culture, of society. You go right down, geography, you go right down the list, John, and everything we have is the best. And that's why we're the Conference of Champions, and that is a historical fact. Bill Walton, uh, you will be doing basketball broadcasts here in short order. How, um, how important it is, is it for you, you know, because you, uh, you have been known to, uh, to, to uh, wander during the broadcast, which I love, um, how important is it to you to to uh, be able to talk a little bit about this in the coming weeks, or how important would it be for you to be able to tell the story of UCLA returning to the Pac-12? I'm telling this story today, John, and I will continue to tell it, but the broadcast is about the games. And we just had Pac-12 Media Day last Wednesday 
in San Francisco at the Pac-12 offices for the last time. Where the offices are being closed down, and uh, it's now a virtual company, which is fine. But it was such an inspirational day. I mean, it was fantastic in every way. Uh, I... The night before, I was in Los Angeles. Lori and I were with the Wolf Pack at the L.A. Greek Theater. Fired up. It was incredible. John Mayer came and played with all the guys. Got to bed as early as I possibly could. Couldn't sleep. Got up. Burbank Airport, Oakland. Car into San Francisco. From the minute I walked in that door, it was phenomenal to see all the coaches to see Bobby Hurley, to see Tommy Lloyd, to see Andy Enfield, to see Mick Cronin, to see uh, Mark Fox, to see Jared Haas, to see Dana Altman, to see Wayne Tinkle, to see uh, Mike Hopkins, to see Kyle Smith, to see Craig Smith in Utah, to see Ted Boyle in Colorado, to see all the players they brought. Now, I get to witness these guys grow up. And I get to see them mature and develop. And I was just so fired up. It was a fantastic experience. And I'm looking forward to this season so much because there was such greatness last year with Arizona and the remarkable run. UCLA back in the national picture because of the brilliance of Mick Cronin and all he does. Andy Enfield, he's on. Andy Enfield is the most successful coach in the history of USC. And he's just done a phenomenal job there. Jared Hass has got a real team. Mark Fox is really building it. It's, it's happening throughout the conference, and I can't wait. But, and the reporters there at Pac-12 Media, they, they were all asking me the same questions that you're asking me. And my comment, as I just declined to answer any of the questions about this today, about UCLA's wrong turn, was that, look, this is about these guys playing today. This let's, Let them have their moment. And we are taking away from their moment if we use their games, their moment in, in the spotlight to, to deny them that chance. Because all anybody ever really wants in life is a chance, a chance to be part of something special. I had that chance. I tried to make the most of it. And that's what all these guys are doing. So when the games are going on, uh, this will not be a topic. And It's another one of the reasons why I decided to do this today with you and John Wilner, who are the proponents of all good things Pac-12. You guys have been on this. But you're on every aspect of the conference. And it's just something that I turned down during the previous four months, even though you and John Wilner were calling every day and all the other guys were calling. And, but I just turned it all down and because I wanted George Kay, our great commissioner, to have a chance to do what he's doing and to try to do what's best for the Pac-12. What's best for the Pac-12 is that UCLA comes back into the Pac-12, we get new media rights deals, we go on and move forward and think like, act like, and become what we truly are. The Pac-12, the conference of champions with no truck stops here. As you're speaking, I'm thinking, you know, it's interesting, you're channeling some John Steinbeck, the Grapes of Wrath. Remember Tom Joad came, they were headed west, they were 
looking for opportunity and, and this feels also backwards even if you look at the rams the rams went to st louis but what did they do they turned around and came back to la it, it, it didn't work fast. didn't yeah. work right yeah there's nothing like the conference of champions and when you're when you're here all the time you tend to just take it for granted and you tend to think that every place else is just like this too until you go to these other places and you realize, my goodness, no wonder everybody left here to go to California and Oregon, the Oregon Trail, the greatest land migration in the history of the world, and, and the Northwest, and just how fantastic and incredible and the land of Timothy Egan, the land of Daniel James Brown. And then you get down to the, the Arizona and Hampton Sides and, 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 and up in Nevada and Utah and, and Peter Cozen and Colorado. Yeah, the launching pad to the universe and all these remarkable people who are here doing spectacular things. And now we just have to be better and we have to all convince UCLA of the errors of their wrong turn. And the only way that really happens, and when you look at change of mistaken policy, and that's what this is, John. This is a, a, a policy mistake that, that somebody, it could not have been too many people because nobody knew about it until mm. June 30th, 2022, when we all yeah. woke up. The news. And do you feel so, do you feel yeah. misled by that that piece of it? Because I know a lot of people in the Pac-12 felt like the rug got pulled out from under them. Like, you know, why didn't UCLA and USC uh, talk with the Pac-12 and say, "Hey, look, we're unhappy. Let's have a conversation about how we fix it." They some people feel misled. Do you feel misled? The rug's been pulled out. I mean, you know, if you're going to make a, a, a momentous decision like this that impacts everybody. I mean, UCLA is a foundational pillar of our community. It is an incredible place located right in the center, physically, physically the center of the economic hub of as great an economy as there is in the world. I mean, there's this campus right there, the hills of Westwood, surrounded Whichever way you go, you got Bel Air, you got Brentwood, you got Santa Monica, you got Century City, and you got Beverly Hills. And you're telling me that you cannot get it done in that environment with that kind of support, with that kind of commitment from the alumni, and you're going to say, oh, yeah, my future's in the Midwest. I don't buy it. And all they would have had to do is float this in the newspaper, and they would have understood and realized immediately that nobody was interested in this. Nobody except an accountant and somebody who saw a big pile of money from whatever source and where it's coming from would always beware. The choices and decisions that we make in our lives, you know, somebody comes and offers you a big pile of cash, you know, ask them where they got it. <laughs> and, what, and what do you got to do? What and what do you got to do to get it? <laughs> and then, and then go look in the mirror and say, "Who am I? What do I stand for? What do I believe in? Choices, decisions. Jackson Brown standing in the breach. What side are you on?" 
I get the impression, and not just the impression, I think I know that Bill Walton is not motivated by money. You know, it. Where did you get that? Where did that come from? Well, Talk I to you. By yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I work for money every day. I'm a freelance worker. I love to work. I'm a workaholic. Drives Lori, the children crazy, but I just love to work. But you know, I'm I'm out there scrambling every single day, and I learned a long time ago that while I would love to do everything for free, life is not free, and so I work all the time. It drives Lori and our business people in our in our world drives them crazy because I just want to give it all away all the time. But I was <laughs> uh, super lucky in my life in that people have always been nicer to me than I deserve. And I just keep going. I try to do the best I can every single moment, every because you know, every breath we're at the fork in the road. And so many people in my life have just been these incredible spiritual forces of nature, from my parents to my first coach, Rocky, to Chick Hearn and John Wooden, to UCLA, to the NBA, to the Blazers, to Stanford Law School, uh, to the Boston Celtics, to the network broadcasting opportunities that I have. And, you know, I, I, but I just keep going all, all the time. I love to work. And... And I want to keep working. I have, I have zero intention of ever retiring. I just, you know, my, in my life, I, my first coach, he worked to the day he died. Chick Hearn died on the job. John Wood to the day he died. Red Auerbach to the day he died. Jack Ramsey to the day he died. Jerry Garcia. You know, Bob Dylan, 81, still going. Grateful Dead, still driving, still pushing out there. That's what I want to do. And I, I love being involved in the game, the game of life. And that's what the Pac-12 Conference of Champions is to me. Because I get to spend my time on these college campuses with guys who are working so hard to create their futures. And, and they're just so full of hope, which I, I lived one more time at the Pac-12 Media Day. And and now we're going to take the best and the brightest of our young people, and we're going to have them fly across the country every week. I've done that, John. <laughs> that is not good for you. And when my spine failed 14 years ago, February 24th, 2008, not that I remember the date, the first time I went and found Steve Garfin, my, my ultimate spine surgeon at UCSD, which Jim Gray was able to find for me, Dr. Garfin looked at me and he said, well, what do you do for a living? I said, I fly across the country three times a week. And he said, well, you've got to stop doing that. And he was ever so right. And when I looked at these young people, who, you know, to be on campus, to be with the guys, and, and, and as opposed to, as opposed to just always traveling somewhere else. And in, in the conference of champions, you know, we're already here. There's no need to go anyplace else. They will come to us. It reminds me of the time you know, the Lakers Celtic finals runs out. We're, we're already all done. Nobody's playing. None of us are playing anymore, right? Yeah. But we're there as. as you know, alumni of the Celtic Laker rivalry, right? And, and we're in the chairman's club at the at the uh, at Ben Staples now Crypto, 
and we're over in the big, huge halftime crowd, and I'm standing with Chief and Bill Russell, me and Kevin, and uh, and, and we, I look across the room, and there's Kareem and James Worthy and Magic over there, and I say, come on, let's go over there and say hi, guys. Bill Russell put his hand on my forearm. He said, hold on. They'll come to us. And they did. <laughs> and, and we are the conference of champions. They will come to us. And uh, I just, it, it is such a privilege and such an honor to be a part of something so special. And that's what John Wooden, that was his recruiting pitch to me as to why I should come to UCLA. Because it's a special place. I want and to now, read. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go, go I, I want ahead. to read. I want to read something to you because I, I published your letter uh, today at johnconzano.com and uh, I, I opened the comments just now as you were talking. And I've never like when I write something, Bill. It's polarizing often. Like people will debate in the comment section. But I want to tell you, like as I re as I scroll through the comments. Michelle says, thanks for writing this bill. I wholeheartedly agree. It's a travesty. It's fueled by uh, horrific vices of unbridled capitalism. Doug says, 100% agree. James says, could not agree more, and I'm an Arizona alumni. Ben says, 100% agree with you, Bill. Uh, Mark says, uh, you know what? His points are spot on. Al says, hey, uh, I love that he's using his education. Um, it, Richard says, this is fantastic. It's time for people to stand up. I mean, it's 100% in support. How does that make you feel? In my life, John, the decisions that I've made, a lot of them were wrong. But think back to when it was little Billy, really little Billy, 9, 10, 11, making the choices. And, you know, my early my earliest sports heroes on the national scale were Bill Russell and Muhammad Ali. My earliest social heroes were Bobby Kennedy and Martin Luther King. I never got to meet Bobby. I know his family. I know his wife. I was just there at the house the other day in, in Cape Cod. Uh, never got to meet Martin Luther King. They were both killed when I was in high school and assassinated. And... My musical heroes growing up as a child, and I start. I grew up in a classical music household. My dad, you talked about Steinbeck, and uh, I forget the thing you said about the uh, Road of Toad or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, Tom Joad and Great Grapes of Tom Wrath. Joad, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, my dad, who grew up in the Central Valley, as did my wife Lori. Uh, opposite ends, Lori's up in Tracy, right in the middle, right near the Delta. My dad grew up in the very southern part of the Central Valley. His parents were school, public school teachers. His parents were public school administrators. So my dad grows up in this world of the grapes of wrath and everything, and he goes to Berkeley. And this is this is in the late 30s and early 40s, and he's an honor student at Berkeley, and he's just having the time of his life, and he gets drafted. He gets drafted into World War II and ends up fighting on the ground in France and Germany. And please, if you're trying to understand fighting on the ground in France and Germany, please read Daniel James Brown's most recent book, Facing the Mountain, the 442. Oh, my gosh. My dad comes back from France and Germany fighting on the ground, comes to San Diego, 
never says a word about the war, but spends the rest of his life trying to convince people to get along. And so here I have this incredible life, positive, optimistic. I find sports, not through my parents, but through my first coach. And then when the Chargers, the Chargers moved to San Diego in 1961 or 62, and they chose as their public practice facility a public park that was a half mile, three quarters of a mile from our family home. And where my mom recently passed away after living there for 69 years. And so here it was. I'd ride my bike, my skateboard up to the park every day and cling on the fence. I'm nine years old. And the Chargers would come out. And every one of these guys, from Sid Gilman to John Hagel to Jack Kemp to Tobin Rote, Gary Garrison, Lance Allwood, all these guys in the Hall of Fame. I mean, I could go right through the whole list. But every day they would come over. They had no idea who I was, what my name was. Really. they just look at me and said, hey, man, it's great to see you. And they couldn't have been nice. Ron Mix, Earl Faison, Ernie Ladd. Keith Lincoln, Paul Lowe, phenomenal. Everyone, they're all in the Hall of Fame today. And here I am, nine years old, and they're just being super nice to me. And then when I was 14, the NBA expanded to San Diego. And here I am, and I had a key to our gym. I'm a a sophomore in high school, and I'm – all of a sudden, they find out that I got a key to the best gym in town. And so Jim Barnett a lifetime in the NBA, still with the Warriors broadcast. Pat Riley, as great as they are ever. And, hey, you know, he was on the team. John hey, Bill, the leading Bill, career. Yeah. we're going to run out of, you're going to run, we're going to run out of time. We've blown through some commercial breaks. We've got about a minute here. Um, anything okay. you want, anything you want to hammer here? It, people can listen to the Gonzano and Wilner podcast, but go I ahead. Was trying to make is, the point I was trying to make is that the satisfaction with your choices, my life, started with hope, opportunity, and purpose that was given to me by all these people in my life, including UCLA. From hope, opportunity, and purpose, I evolved, I grew, I expanded to include pride, loyalty, and gratitude. Pride, the satisfaction with our choices. I am proud that I went to UCLA. I'm super happy with that choice. I am disappointed and sad at this wrong turn. Loyalty. Does any of this matter? Do we care? Yeah. I'm a Conference of Champions guy. That's why I'm here today. I'm standing up for the Conference of Champions. And then gratitude. The appreciation, the respect, the acknowledgement, the, the recognition of the people who went before us. The recognition that I have for you. And John Wilder, who every single day are battling for our Conference of Champions, the, the, all the student-athletes yeah. who are out there trying to create their lives. I am grateful. I went with my spine from 14 years ago, from trying to make it, that I am alive, that I'm the luckiest guy in the world. And that's where I am today. I want to keep yeah. that going. I believe in sustainability. I believe in loyalty. Thank you, John Canzano. Thank you, Bill Walton. Dreams. Thank you for my life. I am alive. Uh, Bill Walton, I'm thank the you. i guy in the world. <laughs> thank you, Bill Walton. All right, uh, I appreciate you and everything you're doing. We'll take phone calls. Bill Walton, ladies and gentlemen. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Good stuff with Bill Walton. Uh, Steven, Judah, we've got to kick this around. we got to do some catching up on the commercial breaks. 
And I appreciate the audience being patient with us on that because I didn't want to interrupt Bill Walton. But, uh, Stephen, we're going to go in and out, or what are we going to do here? Just yeah. a Is kind a, of an in and an out? Kind of a, hey, in. how you doing? And, uh, we'll hey, see how you, you doing? Bit. All right. So here's the thing. If you're listening, I want you to stay tuned, and I thank you for being patient with us. But I want to take some phone calls, too. You can line up now, 503-417-7575. We'll kick around the Bill Walton interview. Mark in Portland, Ed in Corvallis, others who have called in, stay holding, hold your spot. We do have some lines open. Grab them now. We'll discuss Bill Walton coming up. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Bill Walton, uh, I thought, was fantastic. I thought it was great radio, okay? I thought it was fantastic. Stephen Judah, quick feedback, and we'll take some phone calls uh, at the top of the hour. I want you to hold. I want more phone calls. Stephen and Judah, what would you think? Yeah, it was awesome, man. The passion he has for the Pac-12 is off the charts, and that's not that's what I expected out of Bill Walton. I thought it was really interesting that you know he said it, it was about the money and uh, the only people that thought it was a good idea was maybe an accountant and the guy that sees the big bag of money. I thought that was really telling. Um, that was that was my favorite part. Yeah, you can't fake true love, and Bill Walton has true love for this conference, and it's always refreshing uh, when he gets to voice that. Yeah, and I think uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the Regents meeting on November 15th to the 17th, but you like Walton's going to have to start start calling some basketball games, and I think he knew that he needed to come public and, and do this. I want more of your phone calls. 503-417-7575. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. All right, we had a uh, great, fantastic interview with Bill Walton. Lit it up. If you want to read his letter, he wrote he read it on air. You can read it at johnconzano.com. we got the full excerpt, and it's interesting to see the punctuation of the letter. I mean, he literally wrote it. I published it as he wrote it. Uh, we had some long discussions about that and, you know, the format that it needed to be written in. I didn't want to change anything in his letter, and so um, you can check it out during the commercial break at johnconzano.com. Coming up, I'm going to take your phone calls on it. What did you make of it? What did you think of it? Will he be successful? 503-417-7575. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with a bald-faced truth. Well, we're going to have a college football playoff release in this hour. But we're also going to talk about Bill Walton, who absolutely lit it up on this radio show. I hope you heard it. Said he's devastated, said he's heartbroken. It's everything. History teaches us that people fled the Midwest to come to the promised land, the Conference of Champions, the Pac-12. And now, after everybody has come here and created the dream, the the greatest place on earth in every way, now top-level officials are trying to bail themselves out of UCLA's financial morass with a supposed $100 million debt. How did that ever happen? By selling their souls back to the Big Ten. Bill Walton, outspoken. I want your reaction. We'll get the reaction to the initial college football playoff rankings. I'll give it to you this hour as well. 
503-417-7575 is the number. Anna's popped into the studio. we got some phone calls to take. I want to jump out to some of the callers that have been holding. Mark in Portland has been holding. Mark, what is your reaction? Beautiful. I mean, how can you debate anything that he said? I mean, does it make sense to, to fly the volleyball and the soccer teams across the country to play their sports? Does it does it make sense with all the environmental stuff we talk about now that we're going to fly the volleyball and the soccer and the wrestling team across the country? This, John, it's about the, the greedy power brokers at the top, and, and the, it started with the BCS. Now they're seeing that they're being forced to eventually start a playoff. They want to create two super conferences, and UCLA-USC is just making the decision. If we want to be part of the playoff, maybe we're going to have to go play in the Big Ten. It's all about the greedy people at the top. We should have had a normal playoff, like I've said for years, that involves all the conference champions and, and a fair and equal system for everybody. Why should Los Angeles have their two big schools going to the Big Ten to play there when, when we have a great conference in the Pac-12? It, it, everything is illogical and doesn't make sense. And Bill Walton, you can't have a bigger voice than him for, you know, at UCLA. I mean, 88-game winning streak, uh, the multiple championships. I mean, he's he's just a legendary guy there. So I, I think there's a shot that he, he could turn this around. I pray for that to happen. Yeah, I and look, I thought I appreciate you holding, Mark, as well. I thought it was really interesting that, you know, he wanted to come on this show. He wanted to let you guys hear it first from him. Um, he's going to be broadcasting some games coming up in basketball, and I think it was going to be uncomfortable and awkward, and I think he wanted to get it on record how he feels. Um, Judah Newby, uh, Stephen, um, you know, as Mark is talking there, do you think the weight of Bill Walton, does it hold enough weight, or is it just the UC Regents going, yeah, yeah, it's another, it's another voice in the chorus? That's an interesting point by Mark saying that he can't, no one can have a bigger voice than Bill Walton, and he names his UCLA athletic accomplishments, and I guess his NBA accomplishments as well. I would be, you know, running on that if I'm Bill Walton, like my on-court stuff, like how much I matter to UCLA, how much I matter as well to the Pac-12 from what I accomplished uh, athletically as well, because there is part of me, and I think there is part of a lot of, you know, fans out there that kind of... Uh, it's easy to caricature Bill Walton and not take him seriously, but this is a moment where his voice needs to be taken seriously, and I believe it should be. And I think he's, you know, doing a really good job of that. And I'm really, I he was wise to come to you and and John Wilner first because the platform fit, the timing fit, and I think he hit it out of the park. But everyone needs to take him seriously in this moment. And uh, and don't treat it otherwise. This is not a joke anymore. <laughs> like, this is an actual opinion that needs to be heard. And I I believe it should influence the ensuing action, whether that comes from Gavin Newsom, uh, the state of California, the the Pac-12, or certainly Gene Block and, and UCLA itself, the Board of Regents, November fifteenth. Like you're you're pointing out. Like, I really hope that his opinion has actionable sway. I hope it does as well. And I like the fact that he, he took his time to release this statement, right? Like, he didn't come out right away. And, you know, when, when it was first announced months ago, that was one of the first guys I thought about was Bill Wong. Yeah, me too. Same. Yeah. yeah. And, and so for him to not say anything and now to come out now and say it, I think it really validifies it and says, you know, he's really thought about this. And, you know, he, you know like Judah said, some people don't take Bill Walton seriously, but when he's taking his time, to, you know, to go out of his way and – think of these things to say he's really he's really thinking about it and he's making making it a point 
I don't know how much his voice is going to matter in the long run because I feel like now in the world it's all about money, and that's kind of what it is now. But, man, if his voice doesn't matter, I don't think anyone's would because he does represent the Pac-12 and UCLA so well. Um, and he and he's really, you know, he's said it so beautifully of how it does affect him and, you know, the rest of the West Coast. Like, not just UCLA, not just USC, not California, but everywhere. Like, everywhere on the West Coast in the Pac-12, it affects it. He read his poem. He quoted from Steinbeck, RFK, MLK, Bonfire of the Vanities. I mean, nobody else is ha- has that range. Uh, as Bill Walton uh, read uh, his statement. This proposed move to the Big Ten is all about football and money. What about all the other 24 sports and 600-plus student-athletes at UCLA who are responsible for 99-plus percent of UCLA's national championships? How many of these others are represented and willing participants in this proposed deal? Yeah, Anna, what did you think as Bill Walton speaking there? Um, you know, I immediately – I know everybody's saying, you know, the move is about money, but I immediately thought of the sponsors for UCLA and, um, you know, the efforts that are made by every university like that to reach out and to try and build up their endowment and fundraise. And Bill Walton's an important piece of the fundraising machine at UCLA. So those are the people that I thought of, like, you know, how much will this impact their willingness to give to the university if there already wasn't an impact with the announcement of this move to the Big Ten? Yeah, they're going to the regents are going to meet November 15th to uh, the 17th in San Francisco. They're going to be at UC San Francisco Mission Bay. Um, and they will meet there, and you know, obviously, this is going to be a this is going to be a point of contention. By the way, I got some news on the college football playoff ranking front. Oregon State checking in at number 23 in the initial college football playoff ranking poll. Good for the Beavers. Let's go, huh? <laughs> number 23. Utah is 14. UCLA is 12. Uh, for Pac-12 fans that are that are tuned in. Um, also, Jonathan Smith will be on the show in the 5 o'clock hour, so we'll talk to him about that, uh, You know where his team is and what that means to him. So as these rankings are coming out, we'll talk about it. But really, to me, it's interesting because Bill Walton has a loud voice in the room. And if the regents come out and they say, hey, you know what, let's put some weight into this, it could be problematic for UCLA. Uh, they're about to announce Oregon, and I'm going to take some phone calls. Ed and Corvallis has been holding for a while. Ed, you're going to be up next, but LSU coming in at number 10 in the college football playoff top 25 initial poll. Again, the final poll will be out December the 4th. That's the poll that matters, but it's going to be really interesting to see who's at 9, who's at 8, where is Oregon, does the committee uh, you know, hold the week 1 result? Anna, you saw it. You saw Georgia beat Oregon. They, uh, they snuck by Oregon in week 1. 49 to 3. But it'll be interesting to see, does the committee put Oregon ninth if or 8th? No, it did not. It put USC at 9. This is this is not bad news for Oregon. So Oregon is going to be uh, 8 or higher. Guys, if you see it before I see it, let me know. But uh, Ducks at 8. Ducks at 8. Yes. Uh, it, that's, that's not bad. So that tells me that the committee's thinking very similarly uh, to what the AP poll voters are thinking, they're not going to—they're not being penalized right now by the committee. So that's interesting. Ed's in Corvallis wants to talk about Bill Walton. Go ahead, Ed. 
Well, first of all, thanks for getting Bill on record. Um, I, I know he waited, and that, that was great. Um, I haven't been this happy with Bill Walton since the time he missed uh, his last shot uh, against Notre Dame my freshman year. But uh, now I'm a back 12 lover, been here forever. And I think he has a chance to change UCLA. I don't think USC, though, will change. I think they've, they're a national, they want to be national. They're, they're like Notre Dame. They, you know, so I think that won't change. I don't know what happens, how they replace uh, UCLA in that contract and how much has been signed, but uh, they could probably use the government to back it out. And I'm sure they're, I, I agree with Bill. I think it's better for UCLA. My daughter went to law school there. So, I mean, I know UCLA, it is a fantastic school. And Bill, the way he wrote it, even though it was a giant run-on sentence, and I read every word of it. He he wrote it with the right passion about yeah about academics, about um, you know the green environment, the, just everything that is so West Coast. And I think it you know I do think it has a chance to to play off. Now if we end up with a Pac-12 that includes Gonzaga and UCLA, that's fine too. As you, as you brought up, as built as as few wouldn't mind coming in. But I just uh, I, I don't know I I don't think SC is going to change. They they want to be bigger player, and they don't see the Pac-12 in that same sense. I think they're that's why they play Notre Dame every year. That's why it matters. And the real issue is what's the Big Ten's counter if UCLA drops? Do they? Yeah. And, and well, the other thing I'm I'm hoping is that maybe the Big Ten and Pac-12 can talk and at least get those other sports staying in the Pac-12. Because that's the other thing that could, is so stupid. That why, I mean, my daughter played soccer, uh, you know, at, in, in, in the West Coast, and it's crazy. She never had to go over the mountains. I mean, yeah. never. These yeah. kids, you know, the volleyball, it's stupid. It's, it's asking those, a lot. You know, USC yeah. and UCLA should stay in the Pac-12 with every other sport. You know, if they could do it in basketball, fine. But the money sports are basketball and football. Maybe that's the deal. Yeah, they work something out. But Maybe. I, they got to do something, and they yeah. they just have to. So it's not right to have uh, the students on planes that long. And I think Bill Walton spoke to that. Um, Pac-12 teams in the college football playoff rankings: Oregon at eight, USC at nine, UCLA at twelve, Utah at fourteen. A little more weight on the Ducks and the Trojans. But uh, here's another thing, guys. Anybody want to tell me that the the AP poll doesn't matter in the eyes of the uh, of the voters? Like the poll almost exactly mirrors the AP poll. So uh, you know, I I don't think that they're independent of this. Like you know, they'll say that hey, they don't pay attention to the rankings, they don't look at the polls, whatnot. They create their own ranking system. Um, it there's a whole bunch of uh, similarities between. The polls and the rankings. They're they're announcing the top four guys. Any Georgia's going to be at one, right? I would I would yeah. assume Georgia one, Tennessee two, probably. I think yeah. so because they want to juice up yeah. this Saturday, man. So I, yeah. I think it's going to be Georgia, Tennessee one, two, Ohio State three, and uh, Clemson would have to be four because they yeah. just Michigan's released, five, Michigan Michigan's five, five, and Bama six. So Clemson at four. Unless did I miss Ooh. them earlier, Stephen? No, no, nope. And, God, that's – they're at Notre Dame this Saturday. Yeah. I think four is too rich for Dabo this year. It says a lot for Oregon. You know, now they're going to probably play three college well ranked teams, whether Washington beats Oregon State or Oregon State beats Washington. Right. They get Utah and then USC probably in the Pac-12 title game. That's going to be three good wins on their resume going forward. I mean, the Ducks – 
The Ducks are in a prime position. They still have a good yeah. good amount on their schedule to uh, bump them up. They need they need USC to continue to win. They they have to that conference championship game has to be a meaningful game and hopefully it is something like number six Oregon against number seven USC in that title game because that that's how you jump somebody and you get in there. Otherwise you get you get passed and what you don't want is a two loss Alabama sitting at like five entering the last week of the season. So Clemson's at four and uh, then we will see Ohio State at three. And uh, Tennessee at two and Probably. Georgia at yeah. one. Probably. I, that, that's what I think. I mean, the, the, the Tennessee win over Tennessee Alabama win. is the best win in the nation, right? So, like, that has to weigh for something. Well, Georgia's best win is against Oregon, that's but everybody's true. holding that win against Oregon. That's, like, yeah, that's, true, that's the like, thing that's stupid. Yeah. It's like Georgia's best win is against Oregon, but and eight. then people yeah, people use yeah. people use that against Oregon. <laughs> so you can't. How do you use it for Georgia and against Oregon? I don't. You know, I, it just I guess. means more in the SEC, John. It just means I guess, more. I guess it does. Um, no. Anna, Bill. Uh, what? What? Why are Georgia, you? Well, Georgia at three. Georgia is three. John. <laughs> yeah. So there. Georgia is three. So Tennessee that's really will be one. As if we needed any more evidence that the yeah. AP poll does not matter. <laughs> to the college but, football but, playoff. But having Georgia at three isn't the message. Then they're giving. They're saying Tennessee's win over Alabama is the best win in the country. Got to be for sure. Okay. So what have you done for me lately? Because I, I mean, they're the reigning national champions, and they have not lost this year. They haven't lost in a year and a half, and they start at number three. And they yeah, have a win a statement to me. And a win over number eight Oregon, and they're still number three. Wow. Well. We'll, we'll get your reaction to the college football playoff rankings. I want to talk more Bill Walton. Your phone calls, 503-417-7575. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, the initial CFP, college football playoff rankings, are out. Tennessee's one. Ohio State's two. Georgia is three. A lot of Duck fans. Duck's sitting at number eight, probably uh, going, wait a minute, that team that beat you 49-3, to Clemson's number four, by the way, uh, that team that beat you 49-3 to is only the third best team in America. Uh, that's what the initial committee rankings say. Um, I think they were probably reluctant to put two SEC teams, one, two, in the polls. But uh, Georgia is at three. They're going to make them prove it. Tennessee and Georgia will play each other. And I think uh, it sets up a, uh interesting matchup for that, uh, that game. And, of course, uh, Duck fans, I think, like some Duck fans will say, um, hey, look, it's uh, – and they're playing Saturday, by the way. Um, it, it's a great thing that – that uh, Oregon is eighth, that gives them a chance to make a run. I think other people are going to read it and go, look, this is a team that is well positioned to finish in the top six, but maybe make a Rose Bowl, a game that it probably can win. It goes to the playoff. I don't, you know, I'd, I would not pick Oregon if they're the four seed against Tennessee, against Georgia, against Ohio State. I'm not picking Oregon to win that game. But fans, uh, I want to hear from you. 503-417-7575. How you feeling about it? Beaver fans sitting number 23 in the initial poll. Uh, how you feeling about that? Anna, any more comments on Bill Walton? Any more uh, uh, well, first, playoff? On, on the rankings, I was actually rooting or hoping for Georgia to be ranked up there at one or two because it would make, you know, 
what happened with yeah. Oregon. You were there. I know. It would. It you would, saw it. It would help Oregon, right? If Oregon or if yeah. Georgia was ranked one or two. But Georgia's got a chance to prove it. I mean, they're at home on Saturday against Tennessee. So yeah. it's one versus three with the uh, one seed on the road. And it'll be interesting to see uh, if Georgia, who unblemished, <laughs> uh, if Georgia, you know, if Georgia has something to prove, a little chip on their shoulder. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't want I, – I, if I'm Tennessee, you guys think Tennessee's happy about the rankings? Yeah, I think they're ecstatic. You think so? Yeah. Uh-uh. They're partying right now. No way. Tennessee <laughs> players and coaches, I, oh. I would not want it to be number one and have Georgia at three <laughs> playing Georgia this weekend. I would have rather had it the other way around, go in there as the underdog, go in there going, if we win the game, we'll be number one. But now you have Georgia pissed off, saying we get no respect. We win a national championship. Judah, do you think Tennessee's coaches and players are happy? Sorry, I was just going to call you. Who, who's happy? Tennessee? Tennessee. Oh yeah, Tennessee. Would you rather be Tennessee as the you know you're sitting in the one spot, playing number three Georgia, or would you rather have had it the other way around if you're Tennessee because you're playing this weekend? If I'm Tennessee, I want Georgia at one. I want to be number three because I don't want Georgia any more motivated. Yeah, totally. Because what you want? Tennessee's the underdog. All right, they're going to be the betting underdog. They are the betting underdog. They, it's a true road game. None of this Mercedes-Benz uh, stadium stuff. Georgia <laughs> having a chip on their shoulder, you know, because they're the number three. That's the last thing you needed if you were Tennessee. I don't. I kind of disagree you don't, with you guys. Want, I mean, there's no way in heck Josh Heupel is like, oh wait. We're Goliath, like, yeah, but they're not. not but they're not, though. They're not. Who who realistically thinks that Tennessee's going to beat Georgia? Nobody. The college football playoff committee. The, the, well, the, the, certainly, the, certainly the, Georgia is going. Right now, I love that that metaphor. So Georgia's going. Oh wait, we're not. We're not Goliath. <laughs> Where's give wait, us the bag of stones and the sling? Where's my pebble? <laughs> It's like Goliath has the stones and the sling all of a sudden, and David's got all the armor on. It's like, what? I don't so, know. I'd, I'd be psyched to be number one. I think I would rather be number one. But see, that's For this thing. week? Would, yeah. that's, it feels like their big win is right now at 425 Pacific on a Tuesday, they whereas have the, they, they have want the, the big win though. to be 12. Great. Great. I mean, to to me, that only <laughs> hurts them on Saturday. But we talked about this, June, before the show. Like, if Tennessee loses, what are they going to fall to? Like, four? And then they're not going to have to play in the SEC title game. So, so like, being number one, yeah. I think, is helpful. John, to me, this is an actual issue for Oregon. The loser of Tennessee, Georgia, a one-loss team, in all likelihood, that doesn't have to play in the SEC title. If Georgia is that one-loss team with a loss to Tennessee... And they don't play the SEC title. You think Oregon can? No, you, they can't. They can't because they this literally lost Oregon... them. Even though they'll have way more bigger wins than Georgia by the end of the yeah. year, they, they won't be able to get past Georgia. And I worry that Tennessee being at number one now, that vice versa, the same thing would hold true. Even though Tennessee won't win the East if they lose to Georgia with what one if, loss, Oregon what if won't Georgia get past them either. boat racism? What if Georgia beats them forty-two-seven? That's their only hope. That's, it was a home game for Georgia. It's a home so. game for Georgia. <laughs> True home game. Neutral territory. Yeah. Is, Neutral territory. Is the Tennessee staff coaching in their first game? Anybody know? <laughs> <laughs> Anybody know? Well, here's the, go here's the question. Okay, okay, man. Yeah. Hasn't Oregon improved yes. since the beginning of the season? I think like, so. Like, let's give Oregon the credit for, you know, the strides that they've made. 
I think Oregon's about 25% better than yeah. they were in week one. But that gets him to about 41-17. All <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, you know, it doesn't – it's not enough. Yeah. And, like, I, I think it would be great for the conference if a Pac-12 team made the playoff because it's money for the conference, it's respect. And it would especially be good for the conference if it's not USC or UCLA because then it's not the narrative of, hey, they're leaving the conference for the Big Ten, they couldn't get competition here, adios. And, but the problem being, if Oregon gets into this playoff, I don't like Oregon against any of the teams that are in the top four right now. I see, that's – I do – I would like Oregon. I'm not a duck honk. If Oregon played Georgia today, that game is way different. Yeah, but how much different? It's it's at least within 21 points. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I think it's a one-score game. Oh, wow. I mean, no, wow. I'll say it's Oof. it's it's within it's within nine nine and a half points. Because what I think is, I think it's more like 17 <laughs> to 21. Yeah, the I spread think, was like 17 and a half. Yeah. I think in opening day, like would they cover that number? Yeah, I don't. They would. I don't think they would. I think it would be like 17 to 21. This offense, Georgia but. has a couple injuries on defense now. You know, way more tape out there, obviously, and and Oregon offensively can hang with anybody right I, now. I would love to see it because it's a wonderful experiment. Like, how much better did you get? Okay, let's play the game at a neutral site. I mean, this is what we all do. Like, we go into the <laughs> we go we go into the gym. I'm triggered. We we <laughs> we work out. Like January second, we go. Okay, we're gonna work out. Look at you know. I've just let myself go. We go into the gym. You know, four months later, we look back and we go. You know what? I'm so much stronger. I'm in better shape. I've leaned out. Let me get on the scale. College football teams don't get to do that, and they should. Like, I like to see Oregon get on the scale. How much you know? How much have they lost? You it know would, how much stronger are they? It would be a great story if they did do that game and then Oregon played well, right? But the yes. failure would be is it's the same result as Week One, which is more than likely going to happen. I don't think that you would think, happen. I, I don't think forty nine to three happens. No, I don't think forty nine to three happens. I I have it more like I I do think it's more like Oregon's defense is not great, and that that's what concerns me is the defense has some lapses. I think it's possible, Georgia, best-case scenario, it's like 35-17. That's best-case scenario, I think, for Oregon. I don't think you're giving Oregon enough credit. Agreed. Well, we'll see how good – I mean, Georgia's defense is obviously really good, but that Tennessee offense is elite, and I think we can say Oregon's offense is mm. almost elite, right? Yeah, or, Oregon can score it. Yeah, and so like, I, I think if, yeah. ten, if Tennessee can score against Georgia on Saturday, I think that might paint a different picture. But Maybe isn't the right. best thing for – for Oregon is for Georgia to just blow Tennessee out of the stadium. Yes. Like that that validates Georgia as the best team in America. Yes. And raises and people suddenly would go, hey, you know what? That number eight team, they might they're better than they were in week one. Maybe they should get another shot. That's right. That's what needs to happen. That's true. Let's go to the phone lines. Let's go to Bend. Ed's in Bend. Ed, what do you think? Well, um, first of all, remember who the first number one CSB playoff ranking was Mississippi State. And this is Tennessee's first time ever to be there. So <laughs> I have, I would love, I think it was the best thing that ever happened to Oregon was that uh, Georgia is, uh, is three. Because I agree with you. I think it's going to motivate them, and I think they'll kick their butt. Mississippi yeah. State fell from there and never never been seen again in the playoffs because that was their first, the first ranking. But I just think the Ducks need to just keep winning and keep winning big. And I'm going to the Clemson-Notre Dame game, so I'll be there rooting on Notre Dame to knock Clemson out of their place. And I don't think they'll, I think the ACC will be out of it then. 
and we just need TCU to lose. And I, I, I don't think they will keep a Pac-12. If they win out and they're 12-1, and one, I really don't think the playoff one t- committee wants to keep a Pac-12 team out. Yeah, so they'll figure it out so. if that happens. But, you know, the worst thing would be if Georgia loses and it's their only loss. That's the one thing we can't have happen. Yeah, because if, if they if they don't if they don't make um, the finals and Bam either Bama or Tennessee wins that SEC champion, they're going to put Georgia in with one loss over over the Ducks. So that's yeah. the first thing. Yeah, last thing I want to see is another SEC flavored playoff. Uh, and this is uh, this is a great argument though for a twelve team playoff. Like right now, if you're the Pac twelve and you had a twelve team playoff, you'd have three teams in. You'd have UCLA at twelve. You'd have USC at nine. You'd have Oregon at eight. And you know, Oregon, it, it, based on the way they would do it, um, you know, you you uh, the top four teams would get buys. So you know, you'd have five playing five playing twelve, yeah, and six six eleven and. Seven uh, playing ten, and guess who would be playing? Eight and nine. It would be Oregon USC in the opening round of the playoff. As soon as we get the expanded playoff, the old Pac-12 two, two Big of those Ten teams are not even in the conference. Yeah, Sad. get that Big Ten Pac-12 matchup. Yeah. More phone calls. I want your calls. Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on seven fifty the game. been kind of an interesting day between Bill Walton and the college football playoff rankings. I'm glad you make this show part of your day. Bill Walton not happy with UCLA. Uh, we're talking about the Ducks, and we're talking about the Beavers, the Pac-12. A lot of people weighing in on the initial college football playoff rankings. Uh, the Ducks weighing in at number eight. Uh, when we're talking about the top 12 in, an, in a uh, 12-team playoff, too, we got to remember that there would be automatic qualifiers, and there would be... Uh, you know, the conference champions would be, uh, in most cases, would make the playoffs. So it wouldn't just be a straight 1 through 12 ranking, but the Pac-12 looks a lot better off today than they had, they did a year ago as they, ha- they have some strong showing at the top of the college football playoff rankings, at least the initial rankings. The final rankings are out December 4th. That comes uh, a couple of days after the Pac-12 championship game. So it's the, the Pac-12 title game is played on Vegas on a Friday night. And the final rankings come out on Sunday, December 4th. That's when they are released. Let's go to the phone lines. Gary's in Tualatin. Gary, welcome. Hey, John. Go Ducks. So uh, it's not the team you start with. It's the team you finish with. And uh, sitting number eight, if you win out, you'll be in. There's no way you wouldn't be in the top four if you win those five games. Uh, And we're in great shape. Hey, uh, I golfed with uh, Judah last spring. I didn't know he was still working with you. And as far as UCLA goes, um, good riddance. Uh, they haven't won a championship in years. And uh, if they want to go play in the snow and the, and the hail and everything else, let them play. I'll enjoy watching. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. Uh, look, I, I know people are mad at UCLA and USC, but I, I guarantee you the Pac-12 would – have their arms open if UCLA reverses course on November 15th. I think the Pac-12 is going to go, come on home. Uh, Anna, you and I were at Pac-12 Media Day. Do you remember the breakfast we had the next morning? Uh-huh. 
Do you remember I had my laptop at the table? Yes. And we started, what did we start talking about? That, that, do you remember the conversation, how it kind of wound towards, is the door open for a return to UCLA? Yeah, we spent a lot of the time talking about that, yeah. actually. That morning, we were at breakfast. We are about to leave town. Yeah, it didn't feel like a closed door. It felt like there was still room for that to happen. So it kind of feels like that door doesn't officially close till November 15th, 16th, 17th. I'm, I'm, I would really be surprised to see UCLA reverse course and end up back in the Pac-12. But after Bill Walton spoke today, I went from like, eh, it's like a 5% thing to like, yeah, maybe it's 8 or 10%. And I wonder if the regents are speaking Bill Walton's language. That's that's all. You guys feel like UCLA? Is there a shot UCLA reverses course, or is this just Bill Walton saying, "Look, I'm not happy with it, and they're going to go anyway"? Yeah, I mean, I want to believe. I want to believe that it happens, but I I think it's the latter. That I think it's more that Bill Walton's just mad and they wants him to stay, and then UCLA is going to be gone. Um, I I think it's unfortunate because you know I'm like Bill. I love the Pac-12. Uh, and I like to see the Conference of Champions, and I think it puts him in a weird spot, you know, like you talk about, having to announce these games uh, after saying all this. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a tough spot, but I, I think I think they're gone. I think, you know, they have it in their mind, and I don't. I think it would be a weird look if you, you know, talk about you're going to the Big Ten, it's been announced, Big made a, made a big deal, uh, and then you reverse track on it. Well, the hope is that it's not up to UCLA. Hmm. Yeah. Right? That's the hope. The hope that is that... Gavin Newsom can come over the top or the UC Board of Regents, John, but tell me how rational a hope that is. I think it's out there. Like it, there's some I've heard I all right, look, I've I've heard from some strange I don't want to say strange people. I've heard some strange <laughs> things from people. Strange <laughs> things from people. I had Got one I, all right, I had one guy who who reached out to me via direct message the other day and gave me some information and then he said if you want to block me, I understand. Okay. Because he says, I realize I'm throwing things at you that are, it's, it sounds crazy. Okay. He, his job is he buys and sells energy. Okay. That's his job. Okay. I didn't know that was a job. Like yeah. John Gordon? He, I don't, he buys and sells energy. Not it, that kind of energy. All right. So. Oh, okay. Coffee? So. The energy actual, bus? The actual energy. So. He uh, pointed out to me, he said that, that the uh, state of California is awfully interested in its carbon footprint. Right. Okay? At which point, i, I got to be honest with you, I stop kind of listening when people talk like that. <laughs> John. I just don't know. I don't know enough about it. I don't have the bandwidth in my brain. So I, I kind of, I know it's environmental. Yeah. I know it has to do with, like, emissions and yeah. all that stuff. Climate change. Yeah, climate, okay, I get it. And but, things. But I also know I can do nothing about it. And You actually can. <laughs> go on. And and so I don't want it in my brain, okay. and so I let go of it. But this guy, this guy started talking about the carbon footprint of the travel for right. UCLA to the Big Ten mm-hmm. footprint. And he said... He believes that the UC system is going to have a big problem with the governor because the carbon footprint of UCLA traveling and traveling and traveling yeah. comes with a dollar figure uh-huh. in emissions and when you talk about carbon footprint. Yeah. And that, that dollar figure speaks to the governor in California. And he, and he said, hey, feel free to block me. You know, people yeah. block me. But he says... This is what you need to be looking at. And then he started speaking some other language, science, uh-huh. and that I don't understand. Yeah. But, but do you think that 
It would be the most California thing ever. It would be very California. Yes. That the Eurasians meet and they come out of it and they go, you know what? The carbon footprint created by UCLA's <laughs> travel, we can't get past it. Well, that would be one of the factors, yeah. right? I mean, clearly, you know, that's a big deal in California. And that was one of the points that uh, Bill Walton mm-hmm. pointed out yeah. in his, like, open letter about this matter. Yeah. It's a salient point. Uh, given, you know, the politics and, you know, the leanings of California and the importance of that. This individual told me that there is a dollar figure that goes with that travel that can be quantified, that that this is the study that is done yeah. every year on this kind of travel, right. and that the UC regents will have this dollar figure in front of them that nobody's thinking about, and it's going to be a big number because of all the trains and the buses and the planes. I don't know if they're traveling by train, but, but, it, but all this, you know. Because, like, would I, – I, I don't know. Would the university uh, system be faced with having to offset the carbon footprint Possibly. that is created by all of this travel? So you know how, like, entities, organizations, or whatever, they they pay money – to make efforts to offset the carbon footprint that again, they this is where my eyes start rolling I, back. Okay, <laughs> so but but that's the point, yeah. right? That we're all thinking about, hey, it's seventy million dollars a year UCLA is getting, but George Klyovkov came out, the Pac-12 commissioner, and he said, hey, you know, we we know that there's actually uh, it, they lose money by going to the Big Ten. Do you guys think what he was signaling to us was? There is a big number attached to the travel, not the cost of travel, but the emissions that come with all that travel that the governor and the UC regents are, are going to be very tuned into, that the rest of us are going, eh, you know, it's just airplanes. But do you guys think that that could be part of this? First off, I'm on Team John in this one. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> those kind of words, I, they go in one ear out the other. I don't I know. know what they say. I, you know, that, that's just a me problem, though. I admit it. Um. You know, I, you make a compelling case, I will say. Um, and again, I don't know the exact ramifications of it, but if it is a giant number, I think California would be the one place that would really like take that seriously and want to maybe reverse course. So, you know, I, I think it's a, I think it's a good point. And I think it's a good argument to try to keep UCLA uh, in the Pac-12. Yeah, I'm in the farm system of Team John, so. As soon as someone says carbon footprint, I squint a little bit, and then I wait a few more seconds, and then I tune mm-hmm. out. So see, I'll get to the. I think most eventually. people are. Yeah. No, definitely. Well, yeah. surely there is someone out there who listening who understands what we're talking about loosely, and we we clearly don't. No, really no, no. Know what the, we're this dude about. that that is messaging that guy, me. Yeah. Is... That guy and and a handful of other people. All right, I'm in just going to I'll read a part of his Southwest his Washington. message. I don't want you guys all tuning out because I'm just going to read a part of his message. He's basically saying that the governor has a, a really strong stance on carbon standards and statutory requirements on public universities. There you go. So okay. the public universities are held to a, a standard. He said, "Here's what you need to here's what you need to look at. There's a fuel muck mix study. Don't know what that is." Um and <laughs> It determines basically the CO2e, which is equivalent carbon emissions yeah. that are that are used in travel. And he says, if you look at that, the, he said that is why the Pac-12 is saying this thing costs more than UCLA can afford. So basically, what UCLA needs is for Elon Musk to get that loop, that hyperloop going, yeah. 
and it will just travel between Los Angeles and all of the schools in the Big Ten that they would be competing with, and that's how they'll get I actually, the athletes to uh, those locations. The more I speak about this, yeah. the more I think that there's a possibility. Because, you know, when George Kafka came out and he said they, he said it on the Wilner and Kanzano, the Kanzano Wilner podcast, he said that they, it would actually cost them more money. They lose money in this uh-huh. deal. Everybody laughed, okay? But the, but the parts of the country that were laughing the hardest are the parts of the country who don't have these carbon-neutral mandates. Right. They were like, what do you mean? You know, yeah. driving around in their Winnebago, you know, <laughs> trying, <laughs> driving, to work, driving it to work, you know. Just, <laughs> just cigarette hanging out there. Their hovers, their <laughs> gas-guzzling hovers. I have no idea what he's saying. But, and here's the other thing I got. Like, look, I floated that to UCLA, and what I got back is UCLA, UCLA said, they're trying to say it cost us double what it actually cost us to travel. Uh-huh. I'm wondering if he's talking about the carbon footprint. Hmm. Keep an eye on that. More ahead here on the Bald Face Truth. Leave it here. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Phone lines are open, 503-417-7575. The 5 at 5 coming up top of the hour. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach, normally joins us on Wednesday. He's going to join us uh, on a Tuesday because they play on a Friday. See how that works? He slides it forward. We should all do that. I should be doing my normal Wednesday stuff today. Like, the trash cans need to go out, Anna. Oh, yeah? That's my Wednesday I don't know what routine. Day I know you That's know. you. All right, That's let's go to the phone lines. Gary is in Canby. Gary, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Well, I had two two areas. One was Bill Walton. Okay. Uh, I went to UCLA before him. I was extremely fortunate, now that I look back, to be able to see every one of their championships under Coach Wood. And, you know, it, they're just part of the Pac-12. It's what it is. It's yeah. up and down the coast. We're able to travel. And, and sometimes go see at the other schools. You can't do that when they're in the Midwest. It's too expensive. Yep. And, as you know, far as right. what the pre, one of the previous uh, guys were talking about, Oregon and stuff, and saying let UCLA go. They haven't won any championships in a long time. Yeah. And wrong. The women won the softball championship in 21. UCLA has won more championships under NCAA than any other school in this country ever. So <laughs> I don't want to see them go. I don't want to see them go I either. Stay. They, UCLA has 119 NCAA championships. Uh, that is one of the best in the country. When you let, They won in water polo in 2020, softball in 2019, beach volleyball in 2019, beach volleyball in 2018. See the trend? Uh, women's gymnastics in 2018. Um, UCLA second to uh, Stanford with uh, 119 championships. So they're, they're second. They're, they're part of the Conference of Champions. Let's be real. Dave's in Vancouver. Dave, what's on your mind? Yeah, so I live in Washington, always have, so I root for the Huskies, I root for the Cougars. Okay. Um, I also root for the Pac-12, always have, and but I also like to root for underdogs. Yeah. 
And you guys have been talking about the Ducks just running the table, going maybe going to the Final Four, all that. Yeah. Um, we haven't talked about the Beavers. Yeah. Why can't, why can't the Beavers stop that from happening? If I was a writer, I'm not a writer, you are, I would rather write about the Beavers stopping them from going there than writing about the Ducks losing in the college football championship. Yeah. It'd be, it, a, it'd be a funner story. Yeah. Oregon State is flying under the radar right now. And the caller brings up a good point because Oregon State's got a game Friday against Washington. If they win that game, Oregon State will be sitting at 7-2. and two. You know, then, then comes consecutive games that are very winnable for Oregon State, including, you know, you talk about um, Oregon State's game. They have Cal at home on November 12th. That they could be eight and two. They go to Arizona State on November nineteenth. They could be nine and two easily. And the two Playing, losses is USC and Utah. Not bad losses. Not bad losses. And they would be hosting Oregon in the game formerly known as the Civil War. Come on. And Oregon State at home, they're scary. They damn near beat USC at home. That Game could be a huge game in our state. Beavers okay, and Ducks. But Beavers to the playoffs. Just saying that he he roots for the Pac-12. So like, if he's rooting for the Pac-12, wouldn't it actually be bad for the Pac-12 for the Beavers to dash the or dash Oregon's? I mean, if and- USC goes to the you know conference title game and ends up going to the playoff, and then USC gets its teeth kicked in by Georgia or Tennessee or whoever. You know, is that necessarily bad for the Pac-12? And Oregon goes to the Rose Bowl, you know, or Oregon, you know, so you know somebody else is going to the Rose Bowl under that scenario. Um, it's not the worst case scenario, you know. If you are crafting a story, it it would be Oregon State with ten wins in the regular season. It would be Oregon with ten wins in the regular season, you know, or eleven. You know, you'd have an eleven, you know, an eleven and two Oregon. And you'd have a, uh, a ten and two Oregon State potentially at the end of the season because Oregon probably would still advance to Las Vegas. Uh, there would be there would be such a logjam at the top because Utah, Oregon, UCLA, and and USC, and now then Oregon State in that scenario would either all either have one or two losses, and sitting there at the end, and it would be an absolute mess. We'll we'll find out a lot about Oregon State on Friday. Three and a half point underdogs at Washington. Uh, it started out at four and a half, but it's been bet down. I, I'm excited for uh, Thursday when we make our picks here, John. Since you've been on fire, I know. Not to I, you know. This week, Anna, you don't know this. I need to quit. I need to quit these jobs. Uh-huh. I need to go to Vegas. Oh, okay. I was five and zero. Five and zero against the spread last week. <laughs> yeah. Four and one against the spread the week before. And I'm a tight man. Four and one the week before You're that. Man. Thanks, Stephen. Yeah. Um. So this is just a career change, or this is an add-on. I'm to thirteen what you're and two doing? against the spread. This okay. is retirement. Yeah. Oh. I I yeah. might be wasting my time with this work stuff. Mm-hmm. Is what they're saying. Yeah. They being Stephen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I see that. I, I'm a bad influence on John. I'm always texting him. Hey, good good win on the spread there. Yeah. Stephen and I have been texting oh, generally I... late Saturday night uh-huh. while the last Pac-12 game is wrapping. Yeah. Basically about how we should be we should be in Vegas. What are yes. we doing? Yes. We should at least have a 1-900 number. We should. Yes. Yeah, this sounds great. like a solid business plan. <laughs> yeah.
can you you know how they those guys on the East Coast do that, mm-hmm. you know that shtick, where they go, hey, our five star pick of the week, yeah, we're yeah. giving out winners right now. That we one? can do that. We're twenty eight and zero in our yeah. last twenty eight games. Yeah. yeah. Who, who needs these five twenty nine college accounts we have set up for our kids? You know, well, who needs those? If right. we had been betting those 529 plans last week. Yeah. Should I they, just give the Gamblers Anonymous line out right now? They'd be 1058 yeah. plans right the Tennessee now. Tennessee red line. <laughs> That's what they would be. Plans. We'd be talking about the 1058 plans. You'd be able to buy your own college. <laughs> Who needs college is, when we got is, winners? This is a healthy conversation, All right, guys. the 5 at 5 is coming up. I love college football. We, uh, we'll, give our, we'll give our picks on Thursday, by the way. Uh, in the Pac-12 games. So tune in on Thursday's show if you want winners. We got them. Um, by the way, the 5 at 5 is coming up. Then Jonathan Smith in the 5 o'clock hour. Yeah. Oregon State's coach will be joining us at 5.30. Be here for it all. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Well, the college football playoff rankings are out. Bill Walton speaking. What else is going on in sports? Oh, you you guys ready? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm uh, just running around the studio right now. A little out of breath, but it's fun. It's exciting. This is what it's about. D- today's been such a crazy day in the sports news cycle, and I can't, like, settle on anything because it was the Bill Walton thing, and then it was the college football playoff rankings, and... Like, I'm on a sports high right now, and there were, like, a million other things that went on. Yeah, did you guys hear what they said on the uh, selection committee show about Oregon? Uh Uh-uh. I got it. Oh. We'll play it. You want to play it now, or you want me to do it in the 5 at 5? 5 at 5. Let's do it as part of the 5 at 5. The five biggest things going on in sports. Here we go. The 5 at 5. Well, the initial college football playoff rankings are out. The Oregon Ducks come in at number 8. What did Reese Davis and company say about him? Well, here you go. Has been absolutely outstanding and would be in the Heisman Trophy conversation if not for the bad loss Georgia. And I'm not saying he won't be in there, but they have Georgia later on. I mean, they have Utah later on at home. And we're talking about Pac-12 strength. That'll be a big chance for him to make another statement. Keep an eye on USC. USC still has to have things fall right, too, to get into the Pac-12 championship game. That 46-point loss for Oregon. It's going to hurt. It hurts a little bit. That's what they said at the end of the broadcast. They brought up the 46-point loss that Oregon suffered to Georgia. Ducks coming in at number eight. A little bit of a surprise at the top of the rankings as Tennessee is at one, Georgia's at three, Ohio State at two. Uh, Keep an eye on this weekend's games as Tennessee and Georgia play. But Oregon at number eight. Ducks probably feeling pretty good about where they're sitting. Didn't seem like it was a big diss. That is number one. Number two in our five at five. How about Bill Walton? Wrote a poem. I had it at johnconzano.com, and we had Bill Walton on the show. He questioned the uh, move of UCLA to the Big Ten Conference. I went to UCLA gladly, willingly, and proudly. It was my dream. That dream never included the Big Ten. I have spoken to no one other than the highest level directors of, of athletics at UCLA 
who think that this proposed move to the Big Ten is a good idea. Every argument made by these senior athletic directors and why they like it is about money. These same proponents of moving to the Big Ten are the first people I have ever encountered in my life who have claimed economic hardship and limitations in Los Angeles and that the solution lies in the Midwest. Bill Walton channeling his inner John Steinbeck, the Grapes of Wrath, saying, why did they come west anyway? Well, for opportunity. Will the UC Regents listen to Bill Walton? Is Bill Walton just speaking out because he's going to begin broadcasting and he wants to avoid some awkward interactions on air? I don't know. But his voice holds more weight in this conversation than the average alumnus from UCLA. It's Bill Walton, the big redhead. Number three in our five at five, the Brooklyn Nets are finalizing a deal to hire suspended Boston Celtics coach Ime Yudoka. Formal agreement could be reached as soon as Wednesday. The Nets parted ways with Steve Nash, trying to bring back Yudoka to salvage the reeling franchise. A lot of turmoil with their two and five start. Boston not requiring draft compensation from Brooklyn. But the discussions are taking place. It looks like Boston just wants to be done with Udoka. And the Nets are going, hey, you know, we don't have any problems here. We'll take Ime Udoka. Boston suspended him for the 2022-2023 season for an improper relationship with a subordinate before training camp. Celtics... Uh, say they do not plan to stay in the way of Adoka accepting another coaching job. It's a weird story, but looks like Portland's Ime Adoka could be headed to the Brooklyn Nets. Steven, do you find this story bizarre? Yeah, I mean, a little bit. The thing is, is Ime Adoka can coach. And we kind of talked about this, like, what does that matter? You know, it was obviously bad what he did, and he should be punished for it, but the guy can coach and is a young coach. So if you're Brooklyn, you're very desperate. You have a lot of guys that you think you should win with. He's probably the best coach to bring in at this point. So I'm a little surprised, but at the same time, I'm not because Brooklyn was so desperate for a change and to try to win. So that was the Over, best opportunity. Are they overreacting with Steve Nash? Or, you know, how, how do you read Nash being the scapegoat in Brooklyn? Well, I, it's, it's what they built because they made it clear, you know, Sean Marks made it clear that uh, Kevin Durant runs the team and Kyrie runs the team. So they didn't like Steve Nash, so he's out and Sean Marks is trying to keep his job, right? He's a general manager. He wants to keep his job, not be fired. So he fires Steve Nash. It's the Neil O'Shea type of thing where you always just deflect, 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 so you are not the one getting fired. Fourth thing in our 5 at 5, former Chiefs assistant coach Britt Reed was sentenced to three years in prison today for drunk driving, speeding, and hitting two parked cars last year. The accident left a five-year-old girl with a serious brain injury. Reed, who is the son of Chiefs coach Andy Reed, was intoxicated and driving 84 miles an hour in a 65-mile-an-hour zone. His Dodge truck hit uh, cars that were parked on an entrance ramp to Interstate 435 in Kansas City on February the 4th, 2021. Ariel Young young girl inside one of the cars suffered a traumatic brain injury total of six people were injured uh, one of the cars stalled because of a dead battery second car 
owned by Ariel's mother, had arrived to help. Uh, before the sentencing, a victim impact statement from Ariel's mother was read into the record. She said that the five victims of the crash were offended that Reed, Reed sought probation. They did not accept his apologies, and the family opposed a plea deal. He was sentenced to three years for drunk driving. Britt Reed. And that story, it's just a bad story. No winners there. Finally, um, the fifth thing in our five at five, let's talk about uh, Deion Sanders. He locked down the hotel. Jackson State football coach said he will not allow his players to leave the hotel this weekend. They'll face Texas Southern in Houston, uh, where a rapper takeoff was shot and killed at a bowling alley this morning. Sanders says he wants family members and friends uh, who want to see his players before the game on Saturday to visit the team's hotel. He is said he is sick and tired of people getting shot and killed. He does not want uh, his players out and about in Houston. He told his players, be mindful of your surroundings. Jackson State hosted ESPN's College Game Day on Saturday and then and then beat beat uh, Southern 35-0 to advance to 8-0. He said to his players, quote, uh, your families, your friends, your loved ones, you're all valuable to us. Let's think about that, end quote. Deion Sanders banning his team from leaving the hotel. Says uh, nothing good happening outside the hotel on a weekend. All right. That's the five things, five biggest stories in sports. Uh, let's unpack it a little bit. Uh, biggest surprise, guys, in the college football playoff uh, rankings that came out today, the first release of the rankings. Uh, the final rankings will be out December the 4th. Those are the ones that count. But what what are what is the big surprise in your mind? My big surprise is Clemson at number four, and I understand that they're undefeated. Uh, but it's not like Clemson played a tough out-of-conference schedule. Uh, you, you go through the schedule – now, they played Notre Dame this week, which I think will say a lot. But at a conference, you know, they played Furman, Louisiana Tech, uh, and then they played South Carolina, which should be you know an okay game. But Furman and Louisiana Tech, like, it's not great opponents. They've struggled with some teams, haven't looked great offensively. I think Clemson at four uh, is a little surprising to me. I'm on a beaver high right now. I mean, <laughs> 24 in the AP poll, first time in Nine years, you, you cracked the poll, and now you're 23rd in the first college football playoff ranking. I know that they won't make the playoff. It's a long shot that they'll get to Vegas even, but not impossible. But what a statement for the program, man, to be have your logo represented one spot ahead of Sarkeesian in Texas right now in the college football. Like, five teams in the Pac-12 in these college football playoff rankings. Like, we've come a ways as a conference, and the Beavers – have played a sizable role in that. So, man, I'm so fired up for, for everything going on in Corvallis right now and excited to hear you talk to Jonathan Smith. Yeah, for yeah, the he's... record, uh, lowest lowest ranked teams in the first college football playoffs to make the actual playoff, uh, number 15, Oklahoma, back in 2015. So yeah, And Ohio State in 2014. They were 14. They were 14th as well. And, of course, they finished fourth in yes. the college football playoff rankings and then won the thing. So you can kind of look at yeah. 15 and cut it down. They were a weird team. They had Ezekiel Elliott. They had Cardell Jones at quarterback. Obviously, uh, they met Oregon in the title game. They were a strange team. Yeah, they didn't even start with Cardale Jones at quarterback yeah. that year. Was, was they, that they, a JT Barrett? Barrett year? And then it yeah. turned to Cardale? They, they were a very different team at yeah. the end. My big surprise is TCU undefeated. 
at number seven. TCU is undefeated, comes in at seven. I thought they would be in the top six. I thought maybe they would slide into six in front of Alabama, but one loss Alabama is at six, TCU at seven. Um, Alabama has never been lower than six in the committee's first ranking. Never lower than six. So Alabama, very disappointed, but not as disappointed as number seven TCU because they're like, hey, what do we have to do? We're undefeated, and we can't get by Alabama. Well, there, there might be. Say if TCU wins the Big 12 and does not lose a game, do they make the playoff? <laughs> undefeated conference champion? You'd think they would. <laughs> You'd think, You'd they, think would, they would, right? You'd think they would, yeah. Even uh... – well, I mean, yeah, they because are one spot ahead of Oregon, but the Big Twelve does not have the teams in the rankings that the Pac twelve does. Oregon yeah. would beat nine USC. They would beat they'd have beaten twelve UCLA. They would have beaten fourteen Utah. They would have beaten twenty three Oregon State. Like every other team in the Big Twelve right now has at least two losses. And and TCU obviously is undefeated. I don't think TCU will go undefeated, but when you're comparing strength of schedules and strength of victories, the Pac-12 is way, way better than the Big 12 right now. Can I make a prediction? I think Oregon plays Michigan in the Rose Bowl. That's, that's, that's what it's headed to. That's the projected Rose Bowl if it finished right now, and that feels possible, right? I mean, yeah. if Michigan loses to Ohio State, which is yeah. probable. And I think Oregon can beat Michigan. I think it's a very winnable Rose Bowl. It'd be a good year. Bo Nix, roses around him, and Dan Lanning's like, this is easy. We go to the Rose Bowl every year. You know, I, Kenny Dillingham, you know, scores 40 points in that game. Arizona State hires him the next day. Like, it's that's that's the game for Oregon. That's a clean season for Oregon. Only loss coming to Georgia in week one, and a lot of people going, what if, what if? But those of you out there yelling at your radios going, come on! Like, I would love to see Oregon in the playoff because I would, out of curiosity, I would love to see them play those teams. Just let's see where they are. Uh, we're going to have more talk on this coming up. Jonathan Smith will join us in about 15 minutes. I want you here for it. you got the BFT statewide. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. So I have a very cool giveaway that we're going to do, and you, because you're listening to the show right now, have a huge advantage. Or if you're listening to the podcast, you also would have a huge advantage because you'd be hearing the answer to the question. So I'm, I have a pair of tickets to give away for the Phil Knight Invitational Legacy events at Moda Center on Thanksgiving weekend. Um, you probably have heard some promos for the tickets. Um, I'm going to give away a p pair of tickets tomorrow on the show, but because you're here listening right now, you get an advantage. So Jonathan Smith's coming up here in about 10 minutes, the Oregon State football coach. I'm going to ask him a question, and then tomorrow in the 3 o'clock hour, I'm going to uh, you know, offer the phone line, and I'm going to say, hey, if you were listening to yesterday's interview with Jonathan Smith, um, here's what his answer was to the question, and here's the question. I'm going to ask him what his favorite movie of all time is. What is his favorite movie? The movie that he sees on TV, if it's on TV and he's flipping by and he sees it, and he has to stop and watch it, what is that movie? So whatever he says, that's the answer. That's, that's what you win with. So somebody listening to Jonathan Smith, the Oregon State football coach, coming up here at 530 in 10 minutes, 
is going to have the winning answer. Now, if if some if they're not listening or they didn't listen to the podcast, they're not going to know what Jonathan Smith's favorite movie is. So tomorrow in the three o'clock hour, when I say okay, we're giving away the Phil Knight Invitational Legacy tickets for Moda Center on Thanksgiving weekend. I'm going to say, what did Jonathan Smith say his favorite movie was when I asked him yesterday during the interview? So you will have had to have listened to the podcast or been listening live. And so because you're here, you'll have the answer. How does that strike you, Judah and Stephen? That's brilliant. I love it. Loyalty has its uh, privileges. I would love to win because I want to go to the Phil Knight Invitational. Yeah, you're not eligible. Oh, darn. I also have, have an educated guess as to the answer. What do you think he's going to say? Teen Wolf? Something like that? Yeah, I mean, like Barney the movie? <laughs> something like that, obviously. Uh, but I, the, the sad thing was, that is with that, is somebody's going to call in tomorrow and say, Teen Wolf? I heard it. it <laughs> Teen Wolf is not the answer, okay? No. Don't don't come in with Teen Wolf tomorrow, unless he says that's the answer. If that's the oh, answer, if he's listening the answer. right now, that'd be great. And he just yeah. rolls with Teen Wolf. If he Wolf. just trolled you yeah. so hard, just, yeah, Teen Wolf. Teen Wolf is a favorite movie. I watch it. I showed that movie to my uh, oldest daughter. She was not impressed with it. Because I, I remember it being much cooler. And I, and I realize it's full of bad ideas. You know, in the movie Teen Wolf, uh, Michael J. Fox plays the werewolf kid. And, and little does he know that his parents are also werewolves. So he thinks this is going on with him, and he thinks he's the only one in the world that is having this experience where the, he grows hair and starts itching. And, you know, but it, and he realizes his parents are werewolves as well, uh, eventually. But do you know the scene? Have you guys watched the movie? No. No. Jeez. <laughs> oh, so I there's a it was scene like in the a movie. Twilight sequel. No, no, no. Teen Wolf. Michael J. Fox. He plays basketball. I, I've seen some of the basketball. How do you? You're a basketball guy, Stephen. How have you not seen this movie? It might be the best basketball movie ever made. Ooh, that's a hot take. I, I'll have to watch it then. Second to Hoosiers, maybe. Um, uh, Space Jam's on there too. <laughs> so Michael J. Fox uh, decides he's just gonna he's gonna be out there. He's gonna be the wolf all the time, and he realizes the wolf is pretty damn good at basketball. So. Uh, the the thing that I think is a bad message is there's a scene where he climbs up on top of a car and he's riding on top of the car as the wolf and the car's going down the road and he's like surfing on top of the car. It looks really cool in the movie, but after the movie came out, some kids tried it and it, and it was not good. The result was not good. Some kids fell off the top of cars oh. because they thought, oh, let me get up there like Teen Wolf. In fact, I know a kid in high school who's a friend of mine. He lived, but uh, he had to go to the ER and have gravel removed from his legs and his arms because he had gravel embedded in his arms because he didn't think about being up on the roof and flying off the car at like 30 miles an hour. Mm. Not a good idea. Okay? Yeah, Bad I, idea. That's just a young person thing because, I mean, we all did things like that when we were in high school, right? That was like the cool trend. You started doing it. Yeah, you do something stupid. Yeah. You know Here's here's something, too, because, like, I did a lot of stupid things my parents didn't know about, you know? Like, we would always tell my parents we're going bowling. We're going bowling, right? We wouldn't go bowling. We were doing some kind of mischief. We were throwing eggs. We were TPing someone's house. We are climbing up on the roof of Taco Bell, trying to take the bell, whatever that thing was. That's what we were doing. My parents were like, you must be the best bowler ever. You must be Earl Anthony. That's how good you are as a bowler. Earl Anthony, for you guys, was a bowler back in the day. All I know um, is Dave Houston. That's the only one I know. Okay. But uh, we got in all kinds of mischief uh, doing dumb things. The problem with kids today is, you know, we got the gram and we got TikTok. We, you can kind of check in on what your kids are doing. 
Also, aren't we smarter as a people because we know we did dumb stuff and so now we know like <laughs> our kids are going to do dumb things if we just let them loose? Yeah, I invented that game. You can't pull that game on me. But uh, like there was a trend on TikTok where kids were opening like the sunroof of their car and they were sticking their head out and they were, uh, you know, going through the tunnel down Portland. You know, the tunnel that goes out the Sunset Highway on 26. Mm-hmm. You've probably driven through it a yeah. number of times, Judah. The Vista Ridge Tunnel? Is that what it's called? Okay. So, so It might yeah. just be the 26 tunnel. I don't know. <laughs> but there was some kind of trend on TikTok where the kids would open the sunroof in their car, they'd have the music playing, and they would kind of stand up in the car, not while they're driving, but as a passenger, and stick their head out of the top of the car. Well, my kid, my oldest daughter, very safety-first, conscientious person, but... I happened to peek in at her TikTok, and here she is sticking her head out of the top of the roof of the car. Now, I had a decision as a parent. Do I, do I call her on it and be like, totally unacceptable. What are you doing? That is dangerous. By the way, who else is in the car? Like, what are you guys doing? Or do I lay low and pretend like I didn't see it and just go like, hey, I got a kid who mostly makes good decisions. She's very mature. Shouldn't say anything about it. What should I have done? And I'll tell you what I did. I think you uh, you give her the benefit of the doubt. I think I think you trust her, and you may she's making smart choices. But you know, just let her have some fun. It's not too bad. Judah. I would probably find the news article about the friend you grew up with, and mm. then text it to her and say, "Have you ever seen Teen Wolf?" <laughs> Here, I wrestled with it. What I did is I took the TikTok video of her on her own TikTok doing the stupid thing, and I forwarded it to her via text, and I with one word, nope. (laughs) (laughs) Not a good idea. Uh, Not a good idea. Did you have a period at the end of nope? Like, was it nope? Like it was just period? nope with no punctuation. No punctuation. Like, no, it was okay. like I see what you're doing. Okay. This is not a good idea. She was a senior in high school at the time. This is her like really getting out. But then I thought back and I thought like, look, I did stupider things than that. Like I did way dumber things than that. It's just you're kind of walking the line of, do you really trust your kid in that scenario? And you know, I do trust my kid because she's way more mature than I am. Like, that's the thing. It, and I'm going, you know what? She mostly makes better decisions than I make. But this was not her best decision. So uh, that was uh, that was how I ha- handled it. Uh, okay, Jonathan Smith is coming up. Now, if you want to win the Phil Knight Invitational Legacy tickets, we're going to give away a pair tomorrow in the 3 o'clock hour. I want you to listen to this interview with Jonathan Smith because I'm going to ask him what's his favorite movie. That movie... Maybe that he's flipping by, he's watching TV, it pops up that he has to stop and watch. His answer to that question is going to be the answer that a winner tomorrow at 3 o'clock is going to get tickets for. He's not even going to know it. So pay attention to this interview with Jonathan Smith coming up. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Oregon State will play a Friday game. They'll go to Husky Stadium in Seattle. Jonathan Smith uh, here to talk about it, Oregon State football coach. By the way, if you saw the first college football 
playoff rankings. Oregon State coming out at number 23 in the polls. I doubt they care about it, but, you know, they'll look back at the uh, end of the season and they'll go, hey, man, that was new. Ranked in the AP Top 25, ranked in the college football playoff poll. Jonathan Smith joining us now. How you doing? Yeah, uh, doing well, man. Uh, back to work and all that. and Yeah, it's been good. You sound fired up. This practice field and I know. guys in this film and, and then remind, oh, yeah, that's right. I got to talk to John here. I get to, I should say it that way. I get to talk to John. Yeah, thanks, first. man. <laughs> I appreciate it. No, I, I know how that is because, you know, we're not getting you. You have to be, like, for me, I have to be on from 3 to 6. So I, I need my energy. I need to be on from 3 to 6. Your practice window, that's when you have to be on. When is that window, like, if if you're, like, at your best with your most energy, what time of day is it? Yeah, it's probably late morning after I've had about three, four cups of coffee. You know, I feel a lot better. Um, but, it, you know, a schedule, you get into a rhythm and, you know, the practice piece is, uh, you know, important that our coaches are going, our players are going, and then digesting the film after that, putting obviously pre- preparations and plans for not just the opponent on Friday, but the next next day and how you're going to work to do that. Recruiting's going nonstop and fundraising. And it, uh, it, there's a lot going on in this job. I, I think it's uh, really cool to see you guys ranked in the polls and getting that recognition. Obviously, you don't want that to go to your guys' heads, and it doesn't mean anything really till the end of the season. But do you, uh, do you as a team take a little bit of pride in, like, hey, that's another thing that wasn't happening four years ago? Right. You know, we, again, I don't want to downplay totally the, you know, the recognition, and I do think it shows that people are taking notice of the progress we're making and, and currently the eight games we've played in. And, and, and have done some solid things. Um, but I do treat it, and our team treats it, like uh, just preseason rankings, not midseason, preseason. They're all, uh, you know, that's fine for the energy and the attention, uh, but obviously we're focused on postseason. And, uh, we've got a chance to do some cool things, but we've got four, four games in November that will really define the season. Yeah, this week you get your old team, Washington, that old place. You know that stadium. It's a tough place to play. The road underdogs in this conference have had a tough time winning games. Uh, there's some things working against you here. Uh, you know, how do you feel that you're playing? How are you health-wise? Let, let's start there. Yeah, you know, I think uh, it is a tough place to play. Uh, know it well, and weather will be a factor, and crowd, and energy, and and all that. I do think that's that's fun. You want to go on the road and play in, in a place that has a bunch of energy and crowd noise, and the, the fan base is passionate about it. So we got that opportunity. You know, health-wise, uh, you know, a few guys were missing. Marco Brewer's been starting that guard for us. He won't play the rest of the season. That, that was a hit. Um, ben will start again this Friday. You know, Chance is working his way back. Did some limited practice, uh, but he's not going to make a turn to, to be able to be able to full go by by Friday. So, uh, and obviously Ben's had some success in, in that thing. Outside of that, you know, we, we feel good. We used to buy to, to recover. And you know, I think guys' are, bodies are fresh and, and hopefully flying around on Friday. Give us an idea, like with Ben Gulbrunson, where do you see his improvement or maybe an area where he, you think he can take another step? Right. Well, I think he improved. You know, he played a lot against Utah. Didn't start the game, but played a lot. Um, had some solid solid play there and throws, but turned it over a few times in the red zone. 
Uh, I think he's progressed on his decision-making. I think guys have made some plays for him. Uh, again, obviously we're running the ball a decent amount, and he's getting us in the right plays, and he's a factor in that. It's 11-man football when you're running it, and the quarterback's doing He's doing his part. And I do think he's just feeling more confident uh, with the, the schematics, the protection, uh, knowing that it's a long football game. If one series doesn't go our, go our way, he doesn't get in the tank, he's pretty steady Eddie. Yeah, you, you like that in, in your QB. It, the bye week, uh, I noticed you, you had one day of practice, uh, then you kind of gave your guys a rest. What's the logic there uh, as far as getting healthy and, and getting guys right? Yeah, I think each each bye is a little bit different. And we played, this year, we played eight games. And so that's a lot of football. I mean, eight straight weeks, let alone the five weeks of training camp, that's 13 straight weeks of going. And so we did what we wanted to be on the lighter end. And so we practiced Wednesday, took the – early in the week, Monday, Tuesday, to kind of do some self-scouting and start on UW, practice lightly, and then we got on the road, coaches-wise. Thursday and Friday, a lot of high school games, high schools, doing some recruiting, which was awesome. Uh, but then we got back to work, practice lightly on Sunday, um, and then we've been full go. With the Friday game, Monday turns into really being our Tuesday practice, so we've gone back-to-back pretty physical practices, and now we'll you know, focus in on the details the next two days. Jonathan Smith is with us, Oregon State football coach. I'm going to change gears. Let's say you're watching TV, sitting around, you're flipping around on a Sunday, and uh, there's a movie on TV. What's the movie that you see that you you have to stop and watch for a few minutes if it pops up oh, on the TV? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's probably The Godfather. I, I've watched it a bunch anytime that, uh, that is on. The u- Usual Suspects, anytime mm-hmm. that is on, I've enjoyed that. It's a, couple, a little bit older on you. Yeah, uh, movies, which you would catch on TV, right? I mean, yes. you got to be a little bit older to be on TBS or, or TNT. I love the usual suspects, like Kaiser Sose. Like, you know, you know, you don't mm-hmm. see them coming, right? Like, that's – there a little bit of Kaiser Sose in Oregon State football? <laughs> well, hopefully, so, you know, sneaking up, type, <laughs> you know, I totally recognize and knowing. Uh, I do remember the first time I watched that movie. Uh, I, I, I didn't know what was going on until yeah. it and I was shocked, and I was like, God, that was so good. And now anytime yes. I see it on, i, I got to watch it. That's a great movie. Jonathan Smith is with us. Uh, you know, your time at Washington, you had Chris Peterson. You learned a lot there. You probably grew as a play caller and a coach. You may, you may have learned a little bit of your coach head coaching style at Washington. Um, that special to you? It probably always will be, won't it? It will. You know, you get back to a place and spend four years there, and obviously the coaches you work intimately with, and, and a lot of those guys are different now with the you know, coaching changes and stuff, but there's still some people off the field and we've got relationships with. I even think about, you know, the relationship with kids, right? You know, my kids were there, and parents are their friends, and we've gotten a few texts this week, and a few of them are going to be heading over the game. And it, it is. It's a cool spot to be in for, you know, like the four years we had and made some great relationships, and it's a it's a big time stadium and atmosphere and, and so we got a bunch of respect for kind of UW and the greater Seattle area. The uh, you know you, you the Friday night games have been weird Thursdays and Fridays, and I guess in high school playing under the lights there's something special about it. But do you have a theory on why the Thursday Friday games have felt weird at different times, or is it just you're out of rhythm? What is it? Yeah, I do. I start with the rhythm piece because you do get in these routines of you know playing on Saturdays, and so Monday through Friday are always the same, and the type of practices and the schedule and all that. And this, you know, playing on a different day changes that routine routine of rhythm. Um, and but I think each of us in the league have had to 
to play either on a Thursday or a Friday, and uh, it is what it is. And I will say both of us, UW and us, maybe benefit from coming off a bye week to where you can get back to some normalcy in the way you schedule it, not playing a game the Saturday before. The the your guys you, the run game you know obviously you're a team that you want to play good defense you want to throw the ball and hurt teams but I think of Oregon State football right now and I think of the run game that you guys have had over the last couple of years how are you feeling about the run game at this point this season maybe compared to last season do you see things that you're doing different doing better need to improve on what do you see well I feel like you know toward the last few weeks it's uh, it's gotten better than maybe the start of the year just the the explosiveness and you know some of that's maybe credit to Damian Martinez and and whatnot. So, but we feel like it's it's come on the last few weeks to be really effective and we can lean on it. Uh, again, we want to have some balance. I keep saying this, and we've got to be able to you know be explosive throwing it uh, to score the type of points you're going to need. I mean, look at UW's numbers and what they're scoring. I don't see this game being ten to seven or something. And so we got to be able to score. Um, I, I'd like to think, and this is a big picture program. You know, from the program end, you know, you play in the Northwest, you can play games in November that mean something. Well, the weather's not going to be ideal all the time, and so the, the ability to run the football, it should be an advantage. Um, and so we're definitely hoping that shows up this month. The, uh, you know, the conference is better this year, and you guys are part of that. When you look at the, maybe the top five teams in this conference, um, you know, you guys, Oregon, Utah, USC, UCLA, that core group, all ranked teams, far better than a year ago, far better than two years ago. What does that say about the Pac-12 right now? Yeah, I think it's great. They're getting some recognition, and I do. I do think those teams are good. I'd throw UW right in there with us because, uh, you know, they got the same exact record as we got. But I do think, I mean, as much as, you know, we're going to play these guys in a bit, I mean, the Ducks are playing good football. I mean, I've seen enough. I, you know, watch the game on Saturday when you're waiting on it, or, or they come mm-hmm. across your the film. They're playing good. Uh, SC, we got a taste of those guys. I think they're explosive and all get out. We played Utah. I think they're really good. Obviously, we're going to miss UCLA, but that quarterback, when the guys, Dorian's got it going, they can beat anybody. And so I do think the league is uh, well represented and getting some of the respect that I think they should be getting from the last few years. Jonathan Smith is with us. All right, uh, before I cut you loose, you got the Friday night game. Usual suspects or godfathers on. You're stopping to watch it. Um, baseball season is crawling towards the finish you got the astros and the phillies playing in the world series i'm leaning phillies i i I can't bring it i can't bring myself to root for the astros what about you yeah i'm right there with you because i think they cost us a few years ago at the dodgers um i'll be honest i haven't followed it they got canceled what last night you know they're playing tonight they're playing one one they're yeah it's one one they're playing tonight yeah game Um, one game one was wild i mean houston got up five nothing and the Phillies came back and won six to five in extra innings. It was wild. Yeah, it, it comes down. Pat Casey told me that you got to get twenty-seven outs, and so wherever the score is, you ultimately got to get twenty-seven outs. Different than you think about football, where whatever you got the lead, you can just milk the clock, right, and take your time. No, in baseball, flat out, you got to get twenty-seven outs. And you're right, because I saw that score five nothing, and I turned it on really, really late, and they made the huge comeback to win. Uh, you got to finish the game. All right, I'm looking at weather for Seattle, and you know, do you want it? You want a clear night? Do you want it beautiful Seattle night with no wind, or do you uh, do you want a little bit of weather for for this right, game on Friday? You know, yeah, I'm with it. I get it. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're gonna take whatever whatever's taking place. Um, but if it's you know we get the wind going and, and it's wet, I know we're we're not gonna mind that. 
Yeah, there you go, Jonathan Smith. All right, good luck to you. I'll see you Friday. I'll be there in Seattle, and good luck to you guys. Appreciate it, John. All right, there he is, Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach. All right, so you heard his movie. Uh, I will accept tomorrow on the show in the 3 o'clock hour when I ask his favorite movie, I will accept The Godfather or Usual Suspects. I'm going to give away a pair of tickets to the Phil Knight Invitational PK Classic uh, Basketball Tournament Games. That'll be tomorrow in the 3 o'clock hour. There's two correct answers. If you give them both, you get extra credit. Can we can we give away something extra if they get them both or no? It should just be that because we're gonna we're gonna give away tickets all week on this show. So if you don't win them tomorrow, don't fret. We've got some more opportunities. Good stuff from Jonathan Smith. I love that what he said. If we get some wind, if we get some rain, we won't mind. Right now, 89% chance of showers on Friday night. 19 mile an hour winds. That's going to help the Beavers. Stephen, keep in mind when you're making your pick, Michael Penix Jr. in the rain with a 19-mile-an-hour win might be a different matchup for Oregon State. Yeah, and Jonathan Smith just talked about it. They, you know, they want to get the run game going, and they feel like they've gotten it going the last couple of weeks with Damian Martinez. You know, If they lean heavy on that, can Washington stand up to the physicality that Oregon State can possess? That I think that's going to be a big factor because you don't want to throw the ball around in that 19-mile-per-hour uh, win. I think it's going to yeah. be tough. So, the, so the, the forecast for Friday night, steady rain into the evening, uh, low of 41, winds at 10 to 20 miles an hour, 80% chance of rain, maybe a quarter inch of rain that night. So uh, I think that is advantage Oregon State. Uh, we'll give our picks on Thursday's show. We'll give away the tickets to the PK Invitational PK Classic tomorrow in the 3 o'clock hour. Stephen, get in my ear and remind me if I, if I get busy tomorrow and I'm uh, doing what I normally do. And uh, just remind me, we'll give away the tickets. Uh, I will ask what Jonathan Smith's movie is, like when he's flipping around, what does he stop? Answer, Usual Suspects or Godfather. That's the only two correct answers we will accept. All right, leave it here. Some parting thoughts coming up. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Coming up, top of the hour, the great Peter Sampson will be along. Peter, are you in the studio? Is Peter around? Hop he, him over there. The studio. No, just, he's not in the studio. Still just me and Judah. Stretching out. Stretching out. Judah Newby. I was about to Jonathan's... do a, a Peter impression, but then I decided no. not to. I can't really Good idea. Yeah. Good idea. Uh, Judah, Jonathan Smith said his favorite movie. Uh, is there a movie you're flipping by that you have to stop and watch if it's on TV? Ooh, that's a good question. I would say, like, my my normal answer to my all-time favorite movie is The Sandlot, and I try mm. to watch it every year on my birthday because it's, like, kind of my childhood type of thing. Yeah. Um, But I kind of sneaky like Batman Begins is, like, one of the really – one of my favorite movies. Um, The one with uh, Heath Ledger, Christian Bale, like – Right when the Batman series with Christian Bale was taken off, like that first Batman was so good for me. And that's, you know, everybody's got their favorite Batman, turns out, but that's my favorite one, and I'll try to watch that if it comes on. I like that. How about you, Steven? You're flipping around. You're sitting on the sofa. Movie comes on. What movie 
must you stop to watch? Yeah, so uh, I, I like a comedy movie, and it's not even like the best movies. It's just like kind of the stupid funny movies. So uh, like whenever Vegas Vacation comes on, I will mm. always watch that movie. I don't know why I love it so much. I think it's just so funny because uh, this is so dumb, and it's in Vegas, so I just love it. Any Vince Vaughn movie for me is automatic. I got to I got to do that. Uh the movie Couples Retreat, I happen to I don't know why I find that movie on a lot. And I don't know if it's that it's on a lot or that I've noticed that it's on a lot and now every time it's on I feel like it's the only movie that's ever on. You know what I mean? Well, has anyone ever <laughs> noticed that Adam Sandler movies are always on the weekends? <laughs> they must know. Every ser- seriously, check it out next time. There will always be an Adam Sandler movie on on the weekend, Saturday or Sunday. Every time. It's because he's in like 80 movies. But yeah, but it's always on. It's amazing. Yeah, I I always wondered that. Like, what actor is in the most movies of all time? Do you guys know the answer to that? Oh, do you know? Um, I do. Okay, all right. Is it? Is it? This uh... is credits. Credits in a movie. Okay. For example, this guy's not the leader. I'll just give an example. Anthony Hopkins, who was in Silence of the Lambs and you know the uh, the Red Dragon and um. The Father and a bunch of Hitchcock movies. And, you know, Anthony Hopkins has 144 acting credits. Uh, Robert Duvall has 145. Like Susan Sarandon has 163. So you're getting an idea. Like these are people you see all the time in movies. Do you guys know who the top three are in acting credits all time? Uh, Let's go the top two. The top two. It would really surprise you. Um, who who's number one and who's number two? We've had number two on this show. He's been on this show, and you won't know it because it probably before both of your times. But no, yeah, uh, I have is no he still idea. alive? Yeah, still alive. And uh, how about if I start naming movies? Okay, this actor was in Spy Kids and Spy Kids Two. This actor was in From Dusk Till Dawn. This actor was in Desperado. This actor has had 420 acting credits in different movies. I just cheated. I looked it up. So I didn't technically look it up, but like I was going to say Clooney. Is, is Clooney up there, or is he just one of the best no. of all time, but he doesn't no. have the most? Okay. No, Clooney's not up there. It, a lot of times these are B-level actors, too. Like, But like Samuel L. Jackson is number seven all time. That's not a B-level actor, but Danny Glover is number five all time. So, you know, somebody named Christopher Lee, you know, who played what, Gandalf? No, Saruman. Or, uh, yeah, Saruman. He was Saruman. Gandalf okay. was Ian yeah, McClellan. Yeah, right. Okay, so Nerdle. that guy is in the top four. I know what um, talking about. Danny Trejo yeah, is number that's two. that's it, Danny Trejo. Machete, Machete, whatever <laughs> the – Machete Kills, the <laughs> sequel – Danny Trejo's been in 420 movies. Number one all time. You guys don't know. Um, He's got a sister, got a sister, younger sister, who is a uh, is an Oscar winner. He was actually in The Dark Knight, Judah. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. And I he's got another, his, his daughter, <laughs> his daughter's in, in Hollywood, and his sister's in Hollywood. Gary Oldman. No, good guess, though. Oh, Eric, Eric Roberts, Julia Roberts' brother. Eric Roberts has been in 667 movies. He has 667 credits. Wow. Been in The Dark Knight. Been in uh, Lovelace. Uh, been in, um, uh, what else? Bunch of movies you never heard of. <laughs> Just <laughs> Julia Roberts has only been in 68 movies. I bet she's made more money, though. 
I'd say. I'd say. Bet, Do you bet like she's Julia more recognized. Um, I feel like she always plays the same character. She's one of those people. And I also feel like, and this is gonna be, this is gonna sound really shallow. There's no way to say this, and I'm not gonna get in trouble. So I'm just gonna say it. She's one of these people that looks alternately really good, or really bad. And I don't, I can't, I don't quite know the difference. Like when I see her, I go, oh, like, oh, she looks really pretty. And then you see her in another movie, and you go, ooh, like no. And then. But she always seems to play Julia Roberts in the movies. Like she looks different in Aaron Brockovich than she does in Pretty Woman. Yeah. Or Ocean's Eleven. Really good or really bad. There's no in-between for her. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I I feel like I do a lot of in-between myself. Like, you know, I'm like, I'm not at my best. I'm not at my worst. I'm kind of in-between most days. And Julia Roberts, I think she wakes up and she looks in the mirror and she goes, nah, I'm not going outside today. Or she wakes up and going, nope, this is the day. There's no in-between for Julia Roberts. Do you feel that way about any other actresses or actors? No, just Julia Roberts. That's interesting. I don't know. Next time you see a Julia Roberts movie, ask yourself, does she just look okay? Nope. She looks amazing. Or you go, ooh, she's this is not a good look for her. Now, when she looks amazing, does that make the movies better? Or is she better movies when she looks not as amazing? Uh, I don't know. Well, it's got to be a better I'm not movie. A big Julia, I'm not a big... Like- Maybe. I'm not a big Julia Roberts fan, anyways. Um, <laughs> Favorite actress of all time. <sighs> Favorite actress of all time. Is Anna um, in the studio at the moment? No, I mean, I, I used to be a big Salma Hayek fan. Um, and I like uh, I like a little, uh, I'm talking about actress. We're talking about talent, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, good one. Salma Hayek is a great one, by the way. Yeah. Anne Hathaway, same thing. She's always playing herself. She's playing the same characters Julia Roberts playing. Sandra Bullock, same thing, playing herself. You know, uh, who I I think Halle Berry is highly underrated. Yeah. No, you don't I mean, like Halle Berry. You can keep it. Really? Yeah. That's wow. Why such hate as for a, Halle Berry as an actress? She's yeah. like, she's fine. She's okay. Hmm. I mean, she's she's fine, but she's also fine as an actress. Good, like, not great. How about yeah. uh? How about Kira Knightley? Oh, I made me a Pride and Prejudice fan single-handedly. Yeah. I got way into Jane Austen because okay. of Kira Knightley. Also, wasn't she in uh, Pirates? Oh, man. Yeah. The first Pirates. She was great. That's the GOAT Pirates. She was awesome. Okay. Rachel McAdams. Great. Yeah. Solid. Gosh, these are all good You know, ones. I'm not a big fan of Nicole Kidman. Is that, She's Australian. Right? I find that I don't like the characters she plays. Oh. You know what I mean? And I and I feel like her personality, because she kind of does, she never really plays a really nice person. She kind of always plays a uh, complicated person, um, being nice. But I think uh, high-maintenance person. So I kind of feel like that's how she is in real life. You know? It's, it's you know, leave it here for Peter Sampson. He's not complicated. <laughs> that's all we got to say. 